Yo, what's up, guys and gals? Justin, sit down and put your headphones on. This episode of Gravity Lab Radio <laughs> is brought to you by the Rating Center. The Rating Center is a full-time rating school uh, owned by myself, so full disclosure, I am the Rating Center. But I have a bunch of really cool uh, group members. Uh, man, I can't remember my team name. Nick, what are they? Who are they again? Your team? <laughs> my team. Nick, no, you're Nick. Uh, yeah. Oh, Hank. you're saying that you don't remember. Oh. Yes, you remembered my name and Justin's name. You just don't remember Hank, who you've known for how many years? My God, Hank is one of my best friends and my brother. How long has he worked with you at the Rating Center? Uh, we've been in business 11, so 10 years. He has been with us 10 of our 11 years. He's a tandem examiner. Still He's can't a coach. remember his name. Hey, yeah, man. So, uh, Hey, Justin, you know where I got my coach rating? <laughs> I don't know. He hasn't heard my microphone yet. <laughs> 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 so we're doing something a little different tonight with our ads. We are recording them before the show instead of after the show. That New lets the three of us have fun. And DJ sitting behind the mixed mics, and I fucked this up 20 times. The mixed mics, wicked, wicked. Coach courses, canopy courses, instructor courses. What else we got? Uh, we do canopy coaching. We do canopy courses. Coach Tandem AFF, I think, is the one we missed there. I said instructor rating okay. courses. Okay, yeah, I yeah. feel like that encapsulates both. If yeah, you're man. lucky, you can strap DJ to you. I will be your dildo. Oh. I will be your strap. on. <laughs> <Whoa. laughs> Go. <laughs> from professional to weird very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Man, a, a lot of people dream of skydiving, and a lot of people want to skydive. And as a tandem instructor over years, I really got to sh share passion with people. Nick, we didn't work full-time in the sky much at all, but you, you saw me jump with people, and you've seen me do it since, and I love sharing that. And Matthew Peterson, one of our previous guests, uh, probably hit it home for me one day, and we were in the loading area, and pointed to his tandem student and said, hey, see these six instructors right here? And he counted it himself. And the student's like, yeah, that dude, he pointed at me, trained all of us. So all seven tandems on that load had some relationship to me and the ability to give back exponentially, the ability to give people more and the ability to share with people. It, it, it's just such a cool way to do it. So uh, the passion behind the rating center is not just mine. It's my boy, Hanks. Uh, sorry, I forgot your name, Hank. It is Jeremy. Keep talking. Keep doing your thing. Don't worry, man. <laughs> Our guest Jeremy's walked in. So we're in the middle of an ad. Uh, we, we try to record some things. Hang out. Don't worry. Pull that mic up to your face if you want to talk while we're doing this. But uh, check out the ratingcenter.com. Right now, we're working on a brand new website. I will be happy and, and proud to show you Jelly Flea Creative's newest site uh, coming out soon. It's Jelly Flea? Jelly Flea Creative. Kyle Henderson. Super good homie. He used to be a full-time instructor, eventually became a full-time web designer. Kind of uh, like me becoming an examiner or Jeremy becoming a rig rigging loft owner. I mean, I'm looking at the uh, new homepage of your website. It's looking pretty fancy. Dude, right? it like looks We're changing these logos up right here. We're going to have some little ninja-looking stuff there. We're working on a little of the presentation. Right now, not all the content's done, but you can see, like, dude, he's legit, man. Vladimir? Looks so, good. Did you say Vladimir? No, no, no. That's, uh, no, no, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, you don't know. That's just just stop with your head. On a bear yeah, with yeah. a knife in his teeth. <laughs> <It's nice. laughs> this, uh, so check out the ratingcenter.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on uh, Instagram. You can find us on the World Wide Web. Uh, give us a like. Send us a message. If you have questions about becoming an instructor and you don't know what to do, hit me up. You got 50 jumps and it's your goal one day. You don't know what to do because you just don't know. We're here to answer questions. We're here to lead you along the way. Whether you work with us or you work with one of the other great guys and gals out there, we will help you out. It's about the system and not about uh, our business. So give us a holler. We'll help you out. This episode is also brought to you by Velocity Sports Equipment. Velocity Sports Equipment makes the Infinity Rig. Nick, how are you liking that Infinity? God, it's so sexy. It looks sexy. It's really, it's really nice. Uh, it's super comfortable. I've uh, recently started free flying more in it. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't make it move off my back in free fall. 
those uh, floating laterals are are super wonderful. And uh, man, it's it's uh, it's the sexiest thing. Justin, did you say you were gonna get one one day? I don't know. Maybe so. You're off the show. It'll be a, <laughs> it'll be a little while before I I need to get a new rig. No man, there's a lot of great rigs on the market. Man, I love my Infinity. As Nick said, the custom fit is so glove tight. My rig fits me. It moves around with me. It, it does its job. Uh, one of my rigs doesn't fit as well. I also was 30 pounds heavier when I first got <laughs> it. That might do it. So you know that's my fault. You know, uh, I talked with. Um, our friend Blake, Blake yeah. at, at Velocity Sports, he had expressed interest in uh, making a video about how to properly pack an Infinity, just uh, cosmetically to, to keep it looking nice and to have it be the proper shapes to fit the container well. And so he only talked to me for about 30 seconds just about focusing on uh, how, to, how to put the risers in and how to do a wider pack job instead of a taller pack job. And even just by following his two little bits of advice, I can already make my container look uh, look prettier. So maybe, maybe we'll make that video. Dude, we know a few good guys. We know a few good gals. Check out uh, VelocityRigs.com. When you're ordering your brand new Infinity, if you mention Gravity Lab Radio in the special instructions, or if in your order to VSE at VelocityRigs.com, mention uh, Gravity Lab Radio, they will hook you up with a free mesh back pad upgrade. It breathes. It keeps it from sweating on your back as bad. You land, you feel a lot more comfortable. Give them a check out. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back here in a second. Our boy Jeremy Carnop, the owner of Primary Rigging Services, co-owner. Co-owner, we got his boy Matthew Peterson as well. We're going to talk all about gear rigging, and maybe we'll uh, dabble in some easy base. We'll talk to you all in a few. I'm the target of a meat miss going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. Ah! You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and Nicholas Lott. Produced by Justin Grubbs. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Gentlemen. Well, hey. Well, hey, everybody. Man, I really... Uh, so one of my favorite uh, podcasts out there has a part called After Hours After Dark, and it's after the show's over. They have a little private conversation where they're a little bit more real, but it's still pretty, you know, can. They, they don't go outside the norms because they have a rating. I would like to start a segment of Gravity Lab called After the Show. It's all the shit from before the show. And <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that would be extremely inappropriate. Uh, it gets pr- it gets pretty awful sometimes. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, you're I not just holding back as much, you know. No, no because because nobody's listening. Yeah. Oh. We actually ended today's pre-show with two girls, one cup, and about a five-minute conversation <laughs> ensued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some a, memories, some true stories. I mean, we didn't watch it. <laughs> no, no, no. It was just mentioned. No. Just I mean, to be clear. Just I watched it a little bit. I I brought it up because I said, man, I don't remember the last thing that really offended me, or (laughs) or I don't remember what word I used. Disgusted. 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 Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I I don't remember the last thing that made me like really like like gag and like (laughs) I might vomit. No, it wasn't even gag because you you were describing something that uh, your dad was was turned off by vulgar language. Oh yeah. And I said, and then I said, I don't remember the last time I saw something that was too vulgar. And that's what came to mind. <laughs> so I'm telling the world, don't watch that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's literally. literally. It's, <laughs> it's not cool. It's not soft serve. So uh, said and done, welcome to the show, Mr. Jeremy Carnop. How Yo, you doing, brother? I'm glad to kick it off with that, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what an intro, man. <laughs> Feces in It's a all cup. downhill oh, from here. Uh, yeah. So Jeremy is the co-owner of Primary Rigging Services. 
I do. I nice. caught it. I Got caught it. it this time. Uh, along with our good buddy, Matthew Peterson. And tonight, uh, also an FA master rigger. A senior rigger. A senior rigger. I yeah, thought yeah. you were a master. Oh, I'm a master. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a master rigger. And Matthew's a senior. And tonight, I really kind of want to uh, go on a journey with you. And it's from where you started in the skydiving slash rigging packing community. And then how you became a rig owner, or excuse me, a, a rigging loft owner. So many people have a dream of chasing skydiving as a, as a goal, and you've accomplished that dream. And lately, you've been training other riggers to also accomplish the same. Right, right. During that conversation, I want to gain some life lessons. A lot of skydivers don't know their gear as well as they should. And things that you've learned about your gear and things that you think people should understand, whether we're talking about repacks or gear in general. So just throughout all that, and we'll also talk about disgusting internet video. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, we can leave that, you know, to the beginning of the show. But uh, yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of things you see over the years, especially uh, in the rigging loft and the packing floor, and and uh, a lot of people who nowadays come in and smash out jumps and you know get great experience doing things here and there definitely have a tendency to overlook some of the gear aspects because, you know, I don't want to say it's all magic in their minds, but you know, it's it's being taken care of, right? So, I. Love that they trust us, but I also want them to trust themselves, and that's kind of where I started as far as like becoming a rigger. <clears throat> I was always uh, an independent person, so I wanted to be an independent skydiver, independent with packing and all that stuff. So is really where it came from is the very beginning of being independent as a skydiver. You know, and you started skydiving how long ago? So 2009, you know, my buddy had a birthday and. Uh, we went down to see him, rode our motorcycles from Northwest Kansas, middle of nowhere, to uh, the middle of nowhere in the Ozarks. <laughs> <laughs> in the Ozarks? So, that's where you made your But in the show? Ozarks, yeah, that's so cool. it was pretty cool. Cool. I'd never really even been there and went down to visit my friend who, David Perrin, I have to give him full credit for where I, what started everything, right? Um, rode down there. Did a jump for his birthday, and it was the, dude, it was one of those things that you just can't believe people do this. I cannot believe, like, this is something people do, and that we can do this, like, I can do this, right? This is unbelievable. So, it wasn't just the, f I mean, in the beginning, I suppose it was just the feeling, right? And then uh, it evolves into much more, obviously, as, as we kind of know, but it's a it's a process. What, what was the feeling for you of your first jump? What, what do you mean uh, by just the feeling? Genuine release of everything that you've ever worried about, everything that was concerning you, just that the, the endorphins, euphoria. It's just, and uh, you know, I was always a pretty good kid. You know, I I partied and experimented a little bit here and there, right? But for the most part, you know, anything I had ever done in my life had no match for that. You know, and I was almost a little bit of a nerd. Um, in general, where I didn't want to get hurt, do you know whether I was gonna go skateboarding or jump off the high dive, right? I didn't want to smack my face or do a belly flop, or you know. So I was always kind of cautious in that way, and I was able to do something that felt like genuinely extreme and, and exciting, and I felt like it was done super safely, right? It was repeatable. I could do it without without uh, killing myself. And I was actually thinking about it a little bit. Even today, um, that that thought process of I'm super nervous. I oh man, I I gotta do this right. I don't know what's driving me, but I want to do it. And ultimately, it's that feeling. So once you release or jump or whatever, and you're out, and you're just in that moment, you're no longer uh, fearful. Um, oh, 
it's just a, a, a release. So, um, of anxiety or whatever. So the other night even, man, I don't know what it was, Monday. I was super kind of anxious that day. I was kind of on edge for whatever reason. And uh, we ended up, I didn't even really want to go. We ended up going and doing a jump. And I was up on, on top by myself. You know, the other guys had already jumped. And I'm just like, oh, man, this is fucking incredible. We're at fucking 1,800 feet. There's no wind. It's beautiful. And uh, I can't believe I'm even here. And I'm still scared, though, at this point. <laughs> but once I once I jump, I just feel the air, feel the balance, feel everything come together because I know I can do it, right? And so the, the pre-game jitters, but once you're doing it, you know you can do it, you got it, and there's no feeling like it, the accomplishment, the, the euphoria, everything. So, so I think so that starts from that first jump, you know, where I've seen that this is a feasible thing. I can accomplish these things. But so just just for someone who's maybe newer to skydiving, listening, you, you've kind of taken the turn from from uh, skydiving to, to base jumping. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With, yeah. So that just, just with this conversation, and, and this is the other evening that you're describing, right on on Monday. Right, right, right. So, so this is just kind of jumping back and forth. Sorry, but, but but the feeling that you get before a base jump is, is a similar it, feeling it, that you get before uh, before, before my first skydive, mm-hmm. you know, before um, or something new or something, you know, intimidating, um, and once you get out there and you're doing it you're not thinking about it you're just in the moment and loving it like that's really what kind of got me started so did uh did those first tandems it was like a seven hour drive to get to where i started uh skydiving so i took the first the ground school there we got winded out i had to come back the couple weeks later um drove down that time rather than ride the motorcycle it's a little grueling um and then um did another couple of jumps and then I found Skydive K-State. So Kansas State University Parachute Club was one of those. It's liter- it's a club, so there's no owner. There's no, um, there's a couple, there's an SNTA. There's a couple of people kind of in charge, right? But there's no owner. So we, it's owned by the club members. So everybody pays their club dues and all this stuff. And uh, it was a really nurturing environment. So you go there, your people um, are doing your jump for basically $20, you're paying $20 for their slot, $20 for your own slot, um, and that's that's it. So $40 per per jump. So my coaches, a lot of them had you know 300 jumps. They had a coach's rating. Which was so <laughs> much back then, I bet, right? Well, even then, you know, compared to a Spaceland, I mean, right? I, I mean, from, from your mentality oh, at the yeah, time, yeah, yeah, when yeah, you yeah. found that out was, this dude had 300 jumps. That was very sufficient. He was yeah. the king, dude. <laughs> he was the god of oh, skydiving. Yeah. He knew what was up, for sure. And it's really funny to look back at that. And, and there's multiple instances uh, early on where I saw that, you know, like I saw this 300 jump guide and it's just like, man, this guy's crushing it, you know. Um, but, you know, back home, it was a smaller environment, more nurturing, even though there wasn't quite as much experience. Um, everybody had a lot of fun. Um, it was a Cessna drop zone. So I feel like there was a little bit less um, hazard, you know, as far as um, a lot of jumpers in the air canopy traffic you know is pretty forgiving so people coming from that environment to a a big drop zone kind of you know can be a little bit intimidated and whatnot but for me getting that uh, nurturing environment was great to start off with but I was determined from the get-go you know Um, there was no way I wasn't going to learn to skydive so (laughs) I think I pretty much decided after that first tandem that I had to learn how to do this so that's when I when I found Kansas State University Parachute Club. I got my license there. Uh, Paul Visser, guy that I have to credit most of that to, you know, he was nurturing again and uh, ended up being one of my 
best friends and mentors all the way through wingsuiting, base jumping early on. And uh, when it came down to it, though, there wasn't enough skydiving there for me. So I spent two years there as a fun jumper, did my first 200, 250 uh, jumps. As soon as I had 200 jumps, I was wingsuiting, right? And uh, before that, we were doing a lot of tracking. You know, for, for me, it was all about tracking. So we could do some shitty free fly jumps, or we could stay together and do some tracking. And, and no, not, probably not the best, but a lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, not a whole lot of good belly coaching. You know, there was a couple good belly jumpers there. And we just, you know, wanted to kind of play around. So it's, it's, a, it's a fun environment, but... Uh, I decided I wanted to go to full-time skydiving. My buddy Andrew Karnowski, um, great tandem instructor, master rigger himself, um, been kind of traveling the world doing this and that. He actually spent some time in Saipan with uh, with some of our friends. Uh, he was actually living with Kelly Thacker for a while, who was with me and Ke uh, Matthew in the loft for for some t for some years, right? Um, helped me get my start as well there. <coughs> so uh, he kind of got me down to skydive Houston. And so I quit my job. I was working as a oil field derrick operator. How, so how long have you been skydiving at this point? Uh, about three years, three two years and a half years. And how, many, how many jumps do you have? 200, 250. Okay, 250. Yep, you're yep. making the, the move to skydive Houston. Yeah, making okay. the move to skydive Houston. Uh, my buddy Karnowski says, you know, I got a packing gig for you here. <laughs> and uh, so I tell my boss, you know, hey, here's my two weeks. Um they gave me a lot of shit. What, are you going to go pack parachutes? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to be honest, hindsight says, you know, I should have maybe worked and got, you know, worked towards some ratings maybe if I was going to be full-time because it, it was good, though. And ultimately, it was a perfect timing. It just worked out the way it should have, but it was a lot of fucking hard work. Like, I went to skydive uh, Houston. Uh, Yanni was our head packer. And... Uh, Todd Bell was the owner, yeah. and he had to move it from the original facility out to the middle of fucking nowhere, man. It was a miserable location. Were you location. at Eagle Lake? Or Eagle Lake. Okay. So the s by noon, the sun was starting to come into the hangar, and there was, like, no hiding from it. You know, the doors were semi-transparent, so even though we shut them once it started creeping in, it was still heating it up. It would be oh, miserably hot in there. Um, I spent uh, about one year there at that drop zone and and you know it was just falling apart right we were trying to do some half-assed attempts to make things better you know to provide some shade for ourselves for packing and you know in the afternoons and and try to hide from from the sun but uh ultimately there just wasn't any money or real effort put into the place um it was just left to die and so i spent about a year there you know early on karanowski moved on while i was there you know a lot of people moved on uh, justin price was there when i got there yeah. oh man he's an incredible flyer incredible swooper uh became part of airspeed after he left there <clears throat> just crushed it so it was one of one of those places where it was just everybody started kind of going on their own paths and uh it was bittersweet for a lot of the skydive uh houston crew you know like that was hard hard times for that crew so um, there was uh, a time to get out, and I called up uh, this guy in Idaho, right? So I wanted to go to the bridge. I wanted to do some base jumping. Karnowski had already got me started in uh, some packing and some rigging. So that's where I started doing some rigging, uh, kind of a little bit more back to the rigging uh, background. Uh, Skydive Houston, I did have a lot of downtime, and I tried to do as much rigging as I, as I could, you know, to just help out in the loft and, 
it wasn't a very nurturing environment with uh, Lance Bates. He was not <laughs> helpful at all. Um, <laughs> just when I bring up his name, the people who know are just like, oh, just oh my laugh, God, like, man. He's, uh, he's about the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I really like to like Lance, but I really uh, struggle. Uh, I get along with him. I, I do like him generally. But did, he's did he come to Spaceland for a bit as a tandem instructor? Uh, he was here at Spaceland a bit for as a tandem instructor. A and bald-headed uh, fella? Uh, no, he had hair. Short dude. I uh, know thinking of a different Pete lens. Lutz. Pete Lutz is Gosh, who you're thinking of. I don't of. think so. Bald headed really fella who did pull ups with a tandem rig on. No, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the other fella, but I heard about that. Yeah. Uh, no, and Lance, man, knucklehead. Just a knucklehead. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I'm going to do my first repack. Um, and uh, when, we're, when we're in the middle of it, he gets so. Like, and it's just, it is one of those things I've endured, you know, is just teaching somebody, and I actually have to remind myself. Be patient, right? Mm-hmm. Be patient. It was hard when I first started, you know. There's certain people like Mr. Kyle Whitcoff. He's a great guy. I think he has it in him, but you got to sit down and have the patience for it, and some people just don't have it. <laughs> and and, and uh, Lance is kind of one of those guys. He wanted it. I don't think he has the patience for it, ultimately, <laughs> um, or the focus, and he wasn't very helpful. Karnowski helped me a lot, though, you know, and I did a couple relines and pack jobs there. Um and then when I went to Idaho, the the owner up there, he hated packing, right? And he knew I was a base jumper. So I did my first couple jumps, went to Idaho. Actually, I did three jumps, moved to Idaho just to jump the bridge. And then I found this drop zone I could work at, right? So um, you probably know um, Paul Janes. I've been in the same room as Paul. <laughs> uh, we examine our meetings. He's an examiner. Yeah, yeah, examine. yeah, yeah, um, So we've been in the same room. We know each other by face and I don't know if he knows my face and name. Right, right, right. right. I recognize his face and name. Just he's like the wily coyote of uh, DZOs. He's like one of those. <laughs> he should totally be dead. Uh, he's, and he'll admit it. He says I'm the dumbest cocksucker alive. Uh, you know, if anything, lo- learn from me. And he likes that word a lot. Cocksucker. Oh man, he loves that oh, word. It's so man. funny, dude. I, I I've not so we're in meetings when we're together so I, I haven't heard him speak that way but looking at his demeanor and his presentation nice enough looking guy but yeah I could see him saying yeah. cocksucker <laughs> he's got a <laughs> cocksucker looking face oh yeah so you know Kevin Purdy face. that's a good insult yeah, oh, yeah. is that like DSLs is that the same thing almost. <laughs> 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 hey, Kevin Purdy's got some stories about that guy. I li- I'd actually like to sit and talk to him more about Paul James again someday, um, just for fun. But uh, so he prop he hand propped his Cessna one time, and it just took off Ghost Rider style, <laughs> full prop, <laughs> fucking goes about maybe a quarter mile down the taxiway and smokes Ghost into Ride another, uh, <laughs> yeah. smokes into a uh, another hangar down the way. Oh, right? No. Oh yeah. Shit. He couldn't get so, back in. Oh, no, that thing took off. 60, <laughs> it, hit, it probably hit 50 to 60 by the time it hit the <laughs> hangar. And there's pictures, you know. <laughs> it's wild, man. So he just hand starts it and jumps he, out of the way. So he actually does go. it from behind in case it starts up, I guess. But he has a full <laughs> throttle, keys, you know. So uh, And he just had this no thing tur- turbo propped, right? So it's got Wait, this. Wait, so is he on the. I'm trying to crack. Think of, he's on the backside. Yeah, but backside, is he pilot side or co pilot side? Uh, it would be co-pilot. It's like the he's using the jumper door okay. to come in and out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So he pops out uh, um, co-pilot side, hand props it, 
and what he doesn't realize is he's he's super propped or super uh, turboed this the Cessna. Out. I remember talking to him. He's like, "Yeah, I got this Cessna. It'll go to twelve grand in eight minutes. <laughs> It'll go from my hangar <laughs> to someone else's <laughs> hangar in thirty seconds." But yeah, so um, I get there and I and I hear these stories about him hand propping this airplane. I'm like, "Oh fuck, I am gonna die at this drop zone, right? Like, there's no way." You know, th- we're gonna we're gonna go down in a in an airplane crash with this guy because he crashed another airplane too. Um, before that, it was a four hundred two. Is that what you call those? The, the dual prop Cessnas, and he loses yeah. one engine and goes whoop, about uh, tips over. He straightens it back out, belly flops it into the field because this is all on takeoff that he loses the engine. So Ooh. the worst case, yeah. And he saves it. He saves it. I'll give him that. But uh, totaled that airplane as well. So. All we have left is this little junker Cessna that takes fucking 30 minutes to get to eight grand because they're GOAT Groupons anyway, so fucking kick them out early. <laughs> so it, anyways, it was, a, it, was a good, it was a great summer, dude. I did 100 uh, base jumps. I did my first 500 tandems. Um, it was uh, one of those things where I scratched his back, he scratched mine, so he helped me out a lot ultimately, you know. Doesn't take away the fact that He's a crazy cocksucker. Yeah, but, well, at least uh, he didn't kill you. We appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. So I was able to move on to, to bigger things. As soon as I uh, contacted Hyder down here, um, I had known Alex Frey, Mr. Potter, mm-hmm. and uh, so Tito. J- Jason Hyder, our, our former drop zone manager. Our former drop zone manager. And Alex was a tandem instructor at Spaceland when you when you knew him. About. Alex, who did you say? Yep, Potter? Alex Frey, Potter. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. And I actually met him oh, at Skydive uh, Houston. Houston. Yep, yep. And... Uh, so I kind of had a little bit of credibility as at least being a decent dude. As far as experience, I had a lot to prove. You come in so. like a ray of sunshine, though. <laughs> DJ's one of the first guys I saw, actually, as I escaped the the crazy cocksucker in Idaho and, and came <laughs> on down. Um, had my dogs in my little pop-up tent behind my fucking Mazda little car <laughs> and uh, ready to just camp it out for the winter. I uh, got here in October. And uh, of 2013? 2012. 2012. Okay. Are you guys classmates? Uh, I got here in April of 2012. You guys are cla- you guys are the same year. Oh, same year. And then Braden came in October 2012 as well. Braden Smith, yeah, our that's right. genuinely yeah. awesome, beautiful man. Is he that old so much. to us in life? Like, I mean, he's been around my life that long. <laughs> yeah, but he's <laughs> been in and out of it. Way more know? in and out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because he, he left to go to Dallas. To, he thought he was going to be a tandem instructor. Ended up hurting his shoulder. Tunnel instructor. Do you remember that? Or tunnel instructor, right? Did so I say tunnel said, instructor? You said tandem. Oh, yeah. Sorry. My bad. Yeah, yeah he okay. left to, to work for iFly Dallas when they were going to open. And during FITP, yeah. he fell and I think it was a rotator cuff injury mm. on his shoulder. Yeah, and then yeah. they stuck him at the desk and he, he did that for a Yeah, we actually, uh, he, he had flew, uh, not flew me. He had me up there and uh, Valerie and I flew Will bit with a man he was super super generous about that shit so i i feel like we uh we didn't get a description of your first base jump you kind of glossed over that uh, yeah yeah i did Wait, you know, I, did, I didn't know what <laughs> we wanted to focus on so much uh <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's so many things you know what i mean like it gets it's yeah. gets crazy so let me kind of give you a little perspective about <clears throat> the show you know our conversations in the loft that never get anywhere that we planned, but it was all a lot of a really good time, and we just wandered around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Welcome. That's kind <laughs> of where we're at. Congratulations. Yeah, well, <laughs> wander all you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I got some goals. But we, yeah, we're, yeah, but we'll never get there. <laughs> First question <laughs> you were asking. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah perfect. So for for me, I, I love skydiving. I love flying a little parachute, and I love holding hands with my friends upside down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And so I don't have a big... Uh, nothing about base jumping really appeals to me. Mm, the, right, right, right. The, I like feel it's a sh- short free fall. You're not really doing it with anybody else. The parachutes are big and slow. I think it's a, it's a personality type sometimes when it comes to base jumping. Um, so tell, tell me about your first jump. Where was it? What did you jump off of? I went with uh, Andrew Karnowski and my, Paul, my buddy Paul Visser. Um, a couple of guys I mentioned earlier. So my my original mentors, I did some uh, tracking coach. Yep, K okay. State. Just trying to keep up. Yep, Kansas State University Parachute Club, uh, and that's where Karnowski started too. So uh, when I came down to work with him at uh, um, Skydive Houston, we also arranged a trip to go to West Virginia for my first base jumps and a couple other guys. And I don't know if he knew how seriously I had in mind as far as pursuing base jumping because it was just something I kind of touched on but once he introduced the idea of going to bridge day i'm like full on at this point right okay i'm going to go to bridge day but i'm buying a rig i'm you know doing the whole thing and uh so i actually rented a rig for the first uh for the first jumps and it's good right west virginia is great it's fun but not for your first jumps if you want to learn and actually focus it's it's great to just go party or whatever or do a couple jumps and never base jump again maybe i want hold on i want to park on that conversation for a second cuz mm-hmm. i equate bridge day to going to a boogie to learn to skydive yeah exactly you know there's going to be um, just people more interested in partying than than doing you know focused jumps yeah. um, and it really is a a, a zoo so for for real focus and, and and good like instructional environment, you want to go to the to the, the Perrine Bridge, right? There's some yeah. great courses up there. You know, me and Jeff and and even our buddy Jed have been talking about doing a little bit here and there. I was until you said Jed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know he's uh, he's learned a lot, and he's one he's he's that guy you learn what not to do from. He's got a lot of knowledge, dude. Oh, I dude, got a lot he's, of, yeah. he's so experienced. You know what I mean? It, there was a lot of deal. years where we were all you know. A little bit worried for him, and oh shit, I was worried for myself for some of them <laughs> years. You know, like we were hitting it pretty hard, uh, doing some pretty spicy stuff. Come off things like a wrecking ball, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and trying not to wreck anything. So we did a first couple jumps there, and it was it was fun because it was a very forgiving bridge. You go up there, you can have your pilot shoot in your hand, you can go stowed, you can kind of have your slider up. So, you know, there's a little less pressure. There's a pretty big crowd there at Bridge Day, right? There's a big crowd. Did, but did you feel any pressure from that? Not from the crowd so much because those people don't even really exist at that point in time, right? Like, you're just kind of in your own world. And that's uh, going back to, like, kind of the personalities in base jumping. I feel like a lot of people who pursue base are, uh, you know, not to say that anybody's not, but very independent-minded They've, uh, you know, that short free fall and, and all that work that goes into it, like that's part of the pro- that's part of their enjoyment, right? That's that's the process. You know, the process, the you know that, especially with Jed, you know that motherfucker. He can you know analyze a, a building, for instance, because that's one of the trickiest things to do, you know, and it's a lot of it's a lot more complicated, a lot more fun. Um, but then ultimately, when you get busted, it's not. That <laughs> So it's risk to reward, and with uh, you know the, that bridge, it's it's legal for those for that day. The parens legal all the time, so that's the great Th- thing. That's really like the that. only spot in the U.S. that's like legal and, and other than Moab. Moab. But as far as friendly jumps yeah. and safe and learning environment, that's where it's at. Is is the parens? So I ultimately did two at West Virginia. Uh, went back to Houston, kind of finished my my time there, uh, my prison time. <laughs> And then uh, went to Idaho. And I remember driving to Idaho, man. I didn't have 
by the time I got there, I had enough money to drive back to Kansas if I if everything fell apart right away, you know. So it was a lot of pressure. That I remember just I sleeping in my car, you know, like with my two dogs. <laughs> I was determined, you know. And in, in in Houston, we didn't make any money. I made enough money to buy a container, and I had sold my Saber two to buy a base canopy, right? So I sold my Saber two one seventy. Somebody gave me a Falcon 175. If you don't know what a Falcon 175 is, you're lucky, right? <laughs> it's the shittiest canopy out there. But I jumped it instead so I could buy my base canopy and moved to Idaho. So I had kind of scraped together what I could. I stopped off at KSUPC, Kansas State University Parachute Club, right? Um, for a little boogie. I packed for all my friends and whatnot, and they kind of like... Um, supported my trip to Idaho, like they were helping me, you know, get that extra mile. And when I got, by the time I got to Idaho, all I had left is what they had given me, basically for packing for them and, and whatnot. So it was, it was a little stressful. It was a little bit, uh, but I was determined, so determined that these inconveniences didn't mean anything to me. Right? I was willing to camp out for an entire um, winter at at uh, Houston while I was packing and whatnot, and camp out when I got to Idaho and. Um, I'd always been a hard working guy. Like my dad brought me up, like, you know, you work for everything that you get. Right. And he didn't buy me much for toys, what this and that, you know, I mowed the freaking lawn until I earned enough money to, to, to get things. So I think instilled early on is just, if you want it, you work for it. And, and you see it in life, man, we see it. People who are given everything, you know, might not have quite the same, thought process as someone who had to work for it the, uh, the whole time. So I feel like the more, the harder I had to work, the more determined I was. And man, Skydive Houston was one of those things. You earned it. Um, so when I left there, I was on easy street. I didn't mind what I had to endure. And I got to, uh, when I went to Kansas to do the packing b before I went to Idaho, like that transition that it was, you know, a couple days, right? My buddy Paul Visser and Jeremy um, Stump who's no longer with us. He's 38 and died in his sleep two weeks before his baby was born. Like, just stupid oh. shit, right? Like, no drug. Like, that guy was super clean. He was a freaking wrestling referee for the for the high school and crazy stuff, man. But I remember he was there, man. and he was such a nice guy because I was a little chump climbing this antenna. Like, dude, it, it took me forever to climb this antenna. <laughs> um, it was such... It's a grueling thing, you know. It's in the middle how, of the night. How high? How high is the antenna? Uh, three hundred and fifty feet. Okay. How um, long did it take you to climb three hundred and fifty feet? So right now, I could climb the two hundred, the three hundred and fifty feet, in probably fifteen minutes, no problem. Back then. That night probably took me thirty to forty, <laughs> and I was stopping like every time, you know, every so often for a break, and it includes taking breaks, you know. Three hundred fifty feet. How many stories of a building? I would say about thirty-two. So Something you just like climbed that. a ladder up a 32-story building is a way for me to think about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Easy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing to it. Dude, we've climbed ladders to fucking the clouds, right? 1,900 feet, uh, me and Jed uh, yeah. especially, just climbing that ladder to, to 1,900 feet. We have a few ways around that now sometimes here and there. but uh, You got jet boots. We got jet boots, yeah, exactly. jet boots, right, yep, man? Yep. How long does it take you to climb 1,900 feet? About two and a half hours. Back in the day when Jed was in his, when he was in his prime, yeah. you know, and he was a little eager beaver, <laughs> he could get up there in about two hours. And now he's know. a beaver nugget. <laughs> now he's just a beaver nugget. That's right. <laughs> I'm stuck on the beaver nugget now. Hey, at least he's a living beaver nugget. 
Oh, man. But uh, so, yeah, I went up with uh, Paul Visser and, and Jeremy Stump, and we uh, got to the top. And Jeremy went first, you know, to show me just kind of how it's done. It's always nice to have an experienced guy go first for the noobs, right? And then uh, Paul stood up there with me and watched me, like, count down. Like, I was perched, ready to jump, handheld. They should have PCA'd me, for sure. Like, <laughs> no fucking way would I let any, you know, person in my experience level. What, what does that mean for someone who's not, a, not familiar with base jumping? So, like, it makes it much easier if someone's holding on to your pilot chute when you jump. Yeah. Because no matter what you do, if you hose everything, like, that parachute's already been fixed to a point. And it's going to come out nice and smooth, and you're going to like come back underneath it. So I'm going to jump Ideally, off I mean, of this antenna, and you're going to hang on to my pilot chute yep. until you, it pulls tension, yep. rip, rips out of your hands. I pull much. your parachute all the way to full extension, line line stretch. So now I don't have to worry about a shitty throw or tumbling. or Right, anything. tumbling especially. Right? You step and off then, the bridge, and the parachute's over your head. That's, exactly, that's, yeah, I, exactly. It shocked me how instant it seemed. Yeah. Like, it's okay, actually unclimatic, so you know? It's like <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> For sure, it's like... Oh, well, that's so much better. I was I was bummed out because yeah. it was like, that was uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. anticlimactic. But then I was like, oh, but the pair. Okay, cool. I'm safe. All that's right. the word I was like. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I, I've, you know, kind of become a little bit more of a veg uh, nowadays since I smacked the cliff and <laughs> broke myself uh, into like a hobbling nothing for, what, nine months? Well, actually like three months, but... Um, so yeah, whenever I get a little bit nervous, I'm on a building, I have a PCA... And I get open, and I'm a little disappointed, but I'm really relieved <laughs> that I'm, you know, good to go, right? Like, but you can still have an off heading with a PCA. You have to be aware of your attachment point, which direction you're coming off, and wins. So there's a few, there's a lot of factors still. But so regardless, do you think that it helps you like build your comfort level. It definitely helps build your comfort level. Yep, yep. And I've actually experienced that where I got myself into a sticky situation, was pretty nervous for a while. And uh, so I did PCAs or static lines for a little while to kind of build my confidence back for sure. So being only two jumps and it had been a long time, it was new gear to me. It was, uh, you know, 350 is a little bit low for a noob, you know. It's very standard now. Like, it's great. But, um, yeah. <laughs> and not to say they did anything wrong. It was, you know, they had confidence in me, and I appreciate that. But I don't have confidence. You know, I don't – I've seen too many people – Hose it, you know, <laughs> and so I want to give them every chance they can because I don't want them to, you know, ultimately it's our own decisions with base, right? So there's no one helping us out. Like at the drop zone, you know, a lot of times people will help you out, give you some advice. And we do that in base, but ultimately you make decisions on your own and, and it's big boy rules, right? So um, it's a little more full on. So if I would have wanted it, I could ask for a PCA, but I had all the confidence, maybe more, but all gravy smooth shit my pants oh yeah i exited <laughs> I <laughs> easy, easy <laughs> cool <laughs> <Shat> myself. <laughs> i exited i remember in particular dude like they laughed so hard um so i exit and i throw my pilot shoe and you have that dead air right and i expected just to have a canopy right away so i exit throw it out and i'm just like oh shit <laughs> they heard me say oh shit like all like super slow and ooh, dead air style <laughs> and you know it was like very calm that night you know uh super fucking super funny um so that was my third jump ever and then i moved to idaho met the crazy cocksucker um started doing tandems and and i landed i only landed in a tree once that whole summer I landed Wait, as a base jumper as a, a base jumper as a base jumper. <laughs> <laughs> um so it was a pretty good year like i i uh bruised a couple tailbones maybe you know 
Um, a little bit new without very good instruction. Dude, I'm telling you, that guy, Paul, as much as he helped me out, he didn't really help me out in, as far as the learning process. My friend, uh, uh, Tom Newman, he helped me out more than anything. He was a, kind of a new tandem instructor up there with me at the same time. A lot more experience than me. He maybe had 500 tandems. And uh, so he did more training than Paul did. Um, so Paul taught me a good pattern, you know, and, you know, a crabbing pattern. You know, he, he gave me some good pointers here and there. But ultimately, when it came down to tandem safety and whatnot, mm, you know, there's a little bit left to be desired, I would say. Um, so when I came here, even, there was a few things that I kind of want and needed to step up, yeah. you know, as far as consistent handle checks, you know, and not getting distracted here and there. And and um you know just procedures in, in general you know yeah when you uh, came here you were solid you just didn't seem very confident because you didn't thought you didn't seem like you understood everything you needed to understand exactly so yeah, yeah i knew there was definitely you know some some things that i needed to learn and, and then coming to spaceland dude my first night here i was just like oh shit don't fuck this up you know man you know there's just you have to prove it to yourself and that's going back to me being a little bit conservative throughout my entire life you know now i'm fucking wingsuit base jump you know all this crazy shit in other people's eyes it still comes from this same core like i'm a little bit nervous about doing this or that or taking that next step so staying within your skill set staying within your comfort level can be a little bit obscured you know some people are too comfortable <laughs> you know what i mean like they sh you know staying within your comfort level isn't always the best way to look at it you know you need to stay within your skill level and uh, I feel like just being a little apprehensive helps helps me in that aspect where Jed was a little bit on the opposite. You know, me and Jed have always been opposites. So it was always fun to see us. Like, we teamed up straight off the bat, too. It was too, too good. Um, so, yeah, anyways, uh, going back to finishing, <laughs> finishing up, you know, in Idaho and doing my next 100 base jumps. Um, 500 tandems, you know, I kind of got that confidence, but when I got the space lane, I was really able to build on that. Um, and actually, I'll give uh, JP a lot of credit for um, working with me in the beginning. I remember him, you know, kind of, you know, being a little quiet, you know, didn't know how to, you know, feel about him sometimes here and there. He can come across as very judgmental. Yeah, yeah, and then ultimately... He understands that. Yeah, and when he came up to me and he approached me as, uh, you know, you could do this or you could, you know, just help me a little bit. And I, and I took that feedback as, like, thank you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, man, it was, we were always super cool. Um, same thing with uh, Steven. Man, I met Steven Boyd at Spaceland, maybe on my third tandem jump here, and I didn't know who he was. It was just <laughs> this other videographer, you know, that I'd met. And I think Nick had already told me, hey, you need to, like, look and, you know, have the sun in the right direction, you know? Face the sun. <laughs> Face the sun, all this good yeah. stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, Hand too much <laughs> handicam. Um, you know, and, and Steven came up and had some advice as well. And, you know, I could have been arrogant and this and that. And like, I already know it. But, you know, I, I know I don't know everything. And when I took that advice, I felt like that was a good um, kind of start to the relationship for sure. <laughs> right. I so when I got here, yeah. I got a little bit of feedback yeah. and I took it and ran with it. And, you know, ever since then, everything's been just gravy. Like, um, I want to say most of my growth has been here at Spaceland. You know, I got my entry levels here and there, and but all my real growth is right here. Like, from being a half-assed tandem instructor, half-assed base jumper that's only jumped the bridge, which is fine, but I wanted to prove to myself more than anything 
that I wasn't just a bridge jumper. So I remember these phases, the, these jumps where I'm going to go out and do a solo in the middle of the fucking night. I got my dogs in the back of the car. I'm just cruising around with these couple of antennas, scoping them out. Tried to climb one. I'm like, ah, fuck, the wind's not quite right. <laughs> climb <laughs> back down. Climb over the goddamn barbed wire uh, <laughs> fence again. That's always the worst. Sketchy Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> <start> calling you. <laughs> um, and then I... Uh, I get back in my car. I go to another antenna that I know I could jump, right? And that's when I had my first 180. And that was shortly after I got to, to Spaceland. So I hadn't started rigging yet. You know, I was just a tandem instructor here on bad weather days, like browsing the uh, Google Earth maps, yeah. looking for uh, different antennas. So you can overlay the antenna database on Google Maps. And then you can kind of like compare and contrast different antennas and, and landing areas and all that stuff. So that's what I would do all day when I wasn't jumping. <laughs> I want to pause one second with this conversation mm -hmm. and something you mentioned. You, you giggle and you laugh like I was cruising around at night with my dogs doing this. Uh, we joke around solo looking to build, right? And skydiving, solo free flyer, solo belly. And, and the dangers of those solos, when you said I was out there in the middle of the night by myself with just my dogs and you laughed at that. Would you recommend somebody no. going to do it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's a silly, such <laughs> yeah, yeah. a silly thing, you know. Like, what are you uh, doing? Um, I wasn't even making proper phone calls, you know. Like, you can at least get a phone crew. And uh, I remember even Ira, you know, some of the local jumpers that don't jump very often, you know, mm -hmm. but they have, they're confident, they're competent, all that good stuff. I'd met them in Idaho, actually. Him and Matt Jones and a few other guys. And they're like, man. I heard you're doing like a solo every now and then. And it's like, well, you know, you got to jump <laughs> sometimes. And, and uh, like I would, you know, I went and jumped with Matt Jones and, and Ira a few times here and there. And when I, met with, when I met up with Jed, yeah, we jumped together all the time after that. You um, had a life mate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we're pretty gay together. Uh, <laughs> KK still claims that we're not really base jumping half the time. We're just, you know, doing... Jumping, yeah, uh, we're jumping each other. This but is it's his cool. wife. Who's it's cool, you know. I'm yeah. into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. KK's his wife, so she's. Um, but that's kind of our, you know, excuse. If anybody wants to, if the cops roll back, hey man, we're just getting away from the wives. You can't give us a hard time about that, man. So, so it's always fun. We've kind of journeyed a little bit through this first half, and I, I want to kind of collect it back together through yeah. some thoughts. You started as a skydiver, immediately fell in love with the sport, found packing parachutes a way to get into the sport as a working person. Yeah, and I started packing basically because I was wanted to be an independent jumper. Like I'd pack for even some of the instructors there uh -huh. at, at uh, Kansas. So when I went down to Houston as a packer and wanted to start learning to rig and, and base jump, it was just it all kind of comes together, it snowballs. So Fudala was here, and we talked about his journey to become an examiner one day, and he started the same way as a packer. And I think. You put a little more emphasis on this than he did, but at some point you said, uh, man, maybe I should have, and I think the insinuation was maybe I should have planned better before I made the transition from full-time whatever my life was to full-time skydiver. Yeah, and it kind of depends on the situation, you know, like I went into it blind into a, a, a drop zone that was, you know, kind of falling apart and it was a rough time. I think he came into a good environment, a nurturing, you know, like Spaceland with with their packing floor, man, you, you really have a lot of potential, mm -hmm. um, not only to make money, but to learn. And, you know, he came up to the loft and he's done his own relines and he's, you know, he's learned a lot um, through that. So would you recommend people 
What would you recommend people do to get into it? Should they save up? Would you would you have done any of that different over again? I would not do anything different over again. So that's one thing I did mention. You know, like ultimately I got into maybe a little early, but I do. It was a great time to break out. It was the you know just all kind of fell into place. I had to work pretty hard. But I really do think there is something said or to to be said when you don't have a backup plan. When you don't you're have anything all, to fall, fall back on, you in, have dude. to make it work, right? <laughs> I was like so if, all if in. If you're living in the back of your car and you don't have any money, you're going to figure out a way to, to make it work, right? Yeah. So you know. if, if you had gone with a, a bunch of money and you had another place to stay, like the grind wouldn't have felt the same, you know? Right. When right, the grind right, right. isn't a choice, it's the only thing you got to do is grind <laughs> it out. I think there's a lot of motivation in that. When you started working in the sport, did you have a backup plan? Did you have something you could fall into? No. No, dude. This was it. Came I came here. I, I mean, I felt fully dedicated when I made the decision to come here, because I was in a I was in a bit of an odd spot where where I was in Utah. I have always not always, but since I was like seventeen, eighteen, I've always had the pleasure of doing something I enjoyed to do for for a living. And this was the first time that that wasn't happening. I had taken a job working construction for for the money because I had quit. Uh, I'm sure most people know I, I did body piercing for for a long time. I owned, owned a business with a couple of friends. DJ's rubbing his nipple at me. He's getting kind of sexy. <laughs> did it hurt? <laughs> Shut the fuck <laughs> up. Both of them did. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, I, uh, I got sensitive nipples myself. But, but so <laughs> I had stopped doing that, felt a little lost, and was just like, man, this seems like the thing. And so I, I, I threw everything I had at coming here. I, uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have done mine over again either. I won't say I had a safety net or financial background or, or backing that would made it comfortable for me. But uh, I, I would, I had a safety net. I would be okay. My parents, by any means, aren't rich and don't have a lot of family money. Family is so crucial, man. But my family yeah. is, they, they made sure I was okay. Yeah, support's one thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah Support, yeah. for sure. Like uh, I wasn't yeah. asking for any help, but I knew I had <laughs> it yeah. if I needed it. <laughs> yeah. No, mom and dad's kept us in a comfortable life. My dad was a Marine for 28 years, you know that. And after he got out of the Marine Corps, he got a very good job, plus a full-time Marine Corps retirement. So we never had anything as kids. You talked about work hard, work hard you'll enjoy what you have. I learned my work ethic as a kid because I got nothing. And then as an adult, dad and mom have... I got my first iPhone from my mom because she's like, hey, look, have you heard of an iPhone? Oh, wow, that's cool. What's an iPhone? Mm -hmm. They they spoiled us after that. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't change anything either. I I think going into it, the thing I would tell a new jumper is is get involved. And that's something you did is is get involved with the club, get involved with the sport, hang out with your riggers, hang out with your packers before you quit and do that job. During that process, you also talked about becoming a rigger. At what point did you a realize you wanted to be a rigger, and then through that conversation, when did you realize you wanted to be a full time rigger? It's funny. I almost feel like I didn't realize anything along the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was yes. just I was in pursuance the whole time, and I was pursuing just everything, I guess. And it would definitely it led me along that path because of the like I wanted to be a sufficient. Like I remember telling Karnowski one time, you know, just by learning to pack you know, more efficiently, better, it could save my life one day, right? It could make me, uh, it could save me somehow. You just don't even know what you don't know in yeah. certain situations. Yeah, how many times have you not given yourself a um, double malfunction because you did things the right way? Right, like you're just saying that by right, cl- right, cleaning right, up the process, right, right, like right. who knows yeah. how many accidents <clears throat> a, a more careless person would, would have created. Yeah, yeah. And Especially and when you're packing other people's gear now. Right, right. And now, so that's almost... Uh, one of those things where it progresses from rigging for myself and doing this and that and, and building confidence in that. And I always kind of tell uh, riggers early on, like, 
what projects do you have? You know, like, what can you do on your own? You know, we'll make sure we do it right, obviously. But yeah, yeah. it's always good to kind of, like, you know, get familiar with your own gear, work on your own gear. Um, so I always kind of wanted to do that. And then, uh, man, rigging just as far as, like, career paths, right? So yeah. I was going to be a tandem instructor. And that's great. I love doing tandems. I really, and I'm actually, t- I'm, I'm, I want to get recurrent for sure. For a number of reasons, but I don't want to do it full time. I still want to continue doing my my wingsuit coaching, my wingsuit focus, and obviously a lot of my attention goes to rigging. So I'm taking on every little project I can take on. Um, you know, so normal pack jobs are great. You know, that's that's the kind of the bread and butter, right? But I love taking on those projects that uh, I'll even, you know, kind of um, tamper with new things. You know, again, especially with my own gear. But if someone's willing to try something new, like just magnets in their toggles, right? Magnets in their, you know, little little things like that. For wingsuiters, it can be really great. Just um, so uh, more master rigger projects. Is, that's one of the reasons I wanted to get my master rating, so I could just expand not only just my knowledge but my abilities, right? Because there's so many things that I was just kind of being held back by not having that rating. So um, really, uh, rigging kind of became like. It was transitioning there naturally, mm-hmm. and then um, became more of a career goal as far as long-term full-time skydiving. So it gave me an option to be a full-time, you know, involvement in, in skydiving, uh, and s- still be able to do my own thing, which I can't necessarily always make money wingsuiting, especially you know certain drop zones. You know, we don't have quite as many wingsuiters, this and that, but the ones we do have, I want to you know nurture and, and ultimately just want to fly awesome myself, right? So the more I fly, the the better off I am. Those years, you know, I didn't have as much time to fun jump or didn't have as much energy to fun jump because I was working too hard um, or, you know, my friends were jumping and I was doing tandems. Uh, it was another motivation to kind of pursue rigging. I fucked up my back at one point in time. So the physical limitations for long-term, um, um, you know, career goals really came down to rigging. I can rig at my own pace. I, You know, it's a little bit more easy going in a sense now there's a lot of responsibility so that's the one thing is the main thing i noticed so you go from the jumps over my job's over um no worries to my works out there for six months or you know so rigging you really have a lot more thought process that goes on a lot more in depth and a lot more long-term thought process going on with rigging so the transition of like okay this takes a little more focus um because if you don't, you think about it later, you, you know, and, and ultimately I want to, that, that became my motivation to be a better rigger, right? So mistakes ultimately for me are not allowable. You know, people talk about people make mistakes. Well, I cannot allow myself to make, so when whatever it takes, you know, like if I leave a, even a little piece of a napkin in a, in a, in a pilot sheet, I'm gonna be like, fuck. Well, it wouldn't have caused a problem, but that's, you know, what, you know, so there's these little things that eat you up as a rigger, you know, little things that don't even necessarily cause problems, just like you you become more OCD. So I was talking to somebody a while back, like I was never a super OCD person necessarily until I started rigging. And it's not necessarily about the the person so much at first, maybe, but if you're going to become a good rigger, you just naturally become a little bit OCD, (laughs) at least about certain things. So uh, if you don't, you shouldn't be rigging. I suppose, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. dude. Um, so <clears throat> the attention to details gotta always be there. 
um, and you develop that over time, you know, you'll definitely make mistakes in the, in the beginning, right? That's obvious. I always tell yeah. people that, but we catch them before they go anywhere. I'm going to double check anything. So if you're about to do something and you're a little bit unsure, ask me, like, fucking please ask me. Um, Kit's been crushing it, man. That guy's been Smart crushing dude. it. He's super solid as far as, like, he wants it too, you know? So he's mm. kind of, um, and when I see that, you know, it obviously reminds me of what, what I was going through. And, dude, I can't imagine. No one's, dude, I, I had it rough there for a couple of years. <laughs> a couple of years. So I, I like to make it a little bit easier for people and, and, and show them the, you know, the way to do things that are most efficient and, and stuff like that. Because it just helps everything in the end. <clears throat> so there's a few ways to go about getting your riggers ticket. And one of the ways people will do is they'll go through a school. And, and I think a lot of these schools and processes are great. I oh, like them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but then there's a, a lot of places <clears throat> or a lot of people who learn more through an apprenticeship. And for example, me, I, I never checked out for my riggers ticket. I've done everything but that. Um, we've spent time together. Mm-hmm. Um, and mine was I worked in a loft with riggers. I, I, I did a lot of supervised pack jobs with riggers. I think I have 60, um, even though mm-hmm. there's conversation about who can and can't pack a reserve, can and can not be used. Uh, at some point in my life, there were 60 reserve pack jobs in the field of mine, mm-hmm. and I have three mm-hmm. saves. Uh, mm-hmm. Never got my ticket. Um, you learned the same way through more of an apprenticeship, or did you go to school? So, yeah, yeah when I went to Idaho, uh, I started touched on that earlier. And uh, so he, he. I just want to go through more through the details of how it happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot to do a little more detail. The uh, guy up there. He hated packing his his uh, reserves, right? So, I'm not gonna talk too much about FAA regulations, but I don't nah. know if that guy was going every six months or not. <laughs> so it was nice to have. Speaking of people who shouldn't be a rigger, conti- yeah. continue. <laughs> yeah, he definitely he's a questionable guy, and just in general. That's I mean, that I could just imagine if I came up to drop my rig off, uh, rig off at the loft, and you guys were like, man. We really just don't like doing those. <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck. I'll just excuse uh, myself out of here. <laughs> so uh, he, he took advantage of that. Like he, he knew that I was interested in getting my riggers ticket. I was already base jumping. I already had a little bit of rigging background. And he showed me a, a, a few things here or there. A few things I unlearned really quickly when I got here. <laughs> and uh, most, but not necessarily unsafe, but just kind of like, we have a better way of doing things now, you know, so more modern approach to, to rigging. Um, he has a few old school uh, things that he does back there. So um, he uh, had me pack a lot of the, the, the reserves and whatnot up there. Mm-hmm. And um, so not only did I feel more comfortable, but uh, it helped me earn the 20 repacks I needed to get my riggers ticket. So I didn't really get a whole lot of like sewing machine experience, whatnot, but I was able to get a lot of hands-on experience with not only... Um, reserve repacks, but uh, different types of rigs, which is actually really important as far as learning to do uh, reserve repacks. It's nice to, to do a variety of rigs. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of the same thing as you. I had a couple of saves and you know maybe 25 or so repacks under his seal. And that was kind of before they started talking more about not doing that. <laughs> and, uh, so um, it was really nice to be able to do that. But again, he, I didn't learn too much from him because he didn't have a whole lot to give. When I got here, um, I had the repacks. I had to kind of do you know some refreshing and uh, ask a few questions to make sure I was doing things more modern again. And Rory, man, he he really helped out. So I'd met him with Karnowski years ago, um, 
And uh, he'd actually just broken his back when I met him. He had just broken his back. He didn't even know it was shattered yet. He was still like in the the Angleton doctor kind of fooled him into thinking he might be okay. And then so I meet Rory. We brought him some um, really nice Ethiopian food. <laughs> <laughs> and that was pretty good, actually. That Ethiopian joint he goes to here in Houston is pretty good. Yeah. Oh, Karen, I think, closed down. Actually, there's another oh, really? one I think maybe he goes to now. The last time I went to Ethiopian with him was when he first moved here in the place he took us to. I don't know what Ethiopian food is about, but I did not enjoy it. And I enjoy uh, I enjoy all sorts of food. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 vegetarian platter with the bread and all that was actually really good. Anything else is really ooh, out there. I couldn't. I had really a soup weird. of. I have a bowl. Of, I had a bowl of like blah. Yeah, like green was a green soupy. I, I don't stuff know what with color it was. <laughs> and I don't remember what color it was, but it was a bowl, a bowl of blah. It yeah, looked the, blah and it tasted I, blah. I've only had like the they had that weird bread stuff that you, you're grabbing the food with the bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a you get curry all over your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that that I can do. That yeah, I have seen that, and I, I have eaten a little bit of that, and I was like, okay, I can do that next time. <laughs> the bowl of blah. It's like red beans in there and stuff. Right. But. So you but bribed yes. him with uh, some Ethiopian food for some some rigging. That's when I first met him with <laughs> uh, Karnowski and didn't really uh, get a chance to to uh, learn much from him at that point. You know, I still got out of Houston before I even went to Idaho. So I came back from Idaho and met up with Rory again at uh, Spaceland, and that's where I kind of started taking a lot more inch you know started looking looking to come up to the loft and he would actually have me paged up to the loft when i was you know slacking or whatever like i kind of do with kit sometimes i'll shoot him a message hey get up here we got some projects um so he would kind of pull me up there here and there uh brought me down you know showed me canopy patches and gave me some of the the end game stuff for my riggers ticket and i'd already kind of fucked up my back so i was ready to kind of Pursue some rigging. You know, I didn't really have plans to be able to just get into the loft here at Spaceland, like, but I needed to get my riggers ticket, right? So I pursued that. I went to Simon Wade at, at, in Boulder City, Skydiving Services, and I was pretty broke. I didn't have a whole lot of money then either. So I remember I didn't even go to the Vegas Strip. Or I flew into Las Vegas, took a taxi um, down there, worked on the riggers ticket stuff, took the taxi back to the airport, slept in the airport. Um, overnight and took the flight the next day, right? So it was straight business, but I got got the job done. And then when I get back, maybe a month later, Rory, uh, like they bring me upstairs, like, hey, you know, Rory's going to iFly. You know, come on up and, you know, you can be our uh, third wheel kind of thing between Kelly and uh, Matthew. So I was like, well, shit, that's pretty good timing, right? Didn't really expect that. And I was just, you know, I was the worker bitch, you know, <laughs> doing uh, a lot of rent gear. You know, we call our uh, student student rigs rent gear. You know, we're doing a few things here and there, paying and, the and I'm I'm earning my keep. I'm earning my keep for uh, sure. Rent meaning paying the the rent of for the loft for the, the loft space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, we have a nice space up there. You know, they've actually installed a new air conditioner a couple years ago, so it's hard to bitch too much. <laughs> But about rent, you know, so, uh, I, you know, we have a good deal, I feel, now. And uh, I'm pretty happy with, uh, you know, the, kind of that transition into primary rigging services with me and Matthew and all that. And uh, We're so going to pull more into that in a little bit because yeah, I, yeah, I want to promote the loft here in a minute. So, yeah, Rory really kind of helped get that get me started. Um, I earned my keep with uh, with Kelly and Matthew and and I became kind of like a third full partner um, for, for a couple of years. And then whenever... Um, Kelly moved to Saipan, it just became me and Matthew. So 
we kind of played with the idea of taking on somebody full time, but ideally just part time. Um, because between Matthew and I, I think we have a pretty good hold on everything. It's really nice to have our, our helpers and like Francisco has mm-hmm. been coming in part time and really helping out. So, you know, we always kind of have those, um, not only learning environments, but you know, some part time little work here and there, you know, for people. So mm-hmm. it's kind of nice to be able to offer that, especially on rainy days and stuff like that, where people are looking for stuff to do. So, um, I know Fernando came up and learned a little bit with us this winter and uh, a few other people. So, just kind of slowly evolved. Um, Fernando, Fernando, the tandem instructor. Yeah, yeah, Fernando, okay, okay. the tandem instructor. Sorry, yeah, sometimes cool. I forget. Like, yeah, we've got. A we're talking. Of to, I'm talking to you guys. I forget we're talking to other people too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I also forget. There's a few tan- Fernandos in my brain there. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, yeah. for sure. Um, so, um, what we got? Lori, she's been learning. Um, so yeah, we we, we always have that kind of uh, going on. Now. So you mentioned here re- recently a little bit about the learning environment, and we talked a little bit about apprenticeship. A lot of new jumpers don't know much about their gear. I drop off my rig. It's magic. You said that those words earlier, and it really <laughs> it's magic. It shows back up, and and most of us don't have an appreciation for what goes on in a in a repack. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about a as a new jumper, how I can be involved just to understand my gear, and then b as anybody in the sport, how can I get involved to become a, a rigger? So both the observer observer end and the apprentice. Um. <coughs> What as a new jumper, if I drop off my reserve, what can I expect with you? Like, here, here's my rig. Right. So uh, basically, uh, we have you know our little iPad that we fill out, and that just kind of gives you an idea, or gives us an idea of what you want done. Ultimately, we're gonna, um, you know, kind of help you through that process. Typically, right? We kind of yeah. help people like specify because sometimes, sometimes people don't understand whether they even have a sky hook or not, stuff like that. So um, it's something people. Um, just haven't seen again it, it goes back to that magic of the unseen right um so um we've actually been encouraging people like when you drop off your rig you know put in a special note sometimes if you want something done but if you're looking to watch a repack be done i've had a few people come in and want to mm-hmm. watch um you know we can actually get as far as you know you watch the whole inspection process you see your rig from the inside out so it's no longer quite as magic you actually know what's kind of going on um so the standard procedure, you know, people bring it up and drop it off, and and you know, like you said, it's it's all done. They come back, and it's yeah. so it's it's something I want to encourage a little bit more. You know, it's a little bit of scheduling <laughs> thing, right? You have to be able to make the time to come out. Uh, but even uh, even if it's not your rig, it's all kind of the same. <laughs> how often do how often do people come in and ask to pull their handles when they drop the rig off? Uh, I would say. Not quite enough, you know, but there's a few people who do it and those people like they like to do it almost every time. Yeah. And it's a good thing to do to, to feel feel. Um, so just to be clear to people, what I mean is, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. I don't always, but I commonly when I drop off my rig, I'll say I want to pull my handles and I'll put my rig on. I'll cut away and I'll pull my reserve right there in front of these guys. Um, a do this with your rigger. Because yeah, it's nice when we're there with you. If yeah. anything's going on wrong, they need to see it. Maybe the last person who packed it put something in there poorly and they need to see it coming out. But more importantly, when it comes out, now it's exposed to be transported and it can get dirty in your car, something can get ripped, all oh, accidental yeah, shit yeah. can happen. Like, leave it completely enclosed, get there, and then ask your riggers to do it. Because the first thing you guys will do is take the rigger seal off my rig. Right. So yeah, this yeah, lead, yeah, yeah. lead doesn't go slinging all over the rigging loft and become a problem for something else. Mm-hmm. And, and pull your handles. Um, now you said 
when they come up, they can't always watch their own rugby pack, but they can watch somebody else's. They're the same thing. Yeah, yeah. If you just happen to be there, and we don't necessarily have time to do your rig right then and there. If I'm working on something, you're you're more than welcome to kind of like sit down and, and watch and kind of learn a few things. You know, there might be certain times where I ignore you while I'm focusing, <laughs> but for the most part, um, it's you know it's pretty easy to interact and 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 keep myself from being distracted. So, um, you know, definitely. Do it in the loft. If you want to pull your handles, you want to see what's going on, definitely bring it up to the loft. We, you know, we've had people in the past bring up just kind of like a mess. It's like, what'd you do? <laughs> you know, like I've really, you know, worried that you may, you know, you might have snagged something, especially on the lines reserves. Mm-hmm. You know, and those those are a little bit more susceptible to wear than, and I shouldn't say more susceptible to wear than your than your main, but what I mean is treated versus untreated lines. Yeah, it's it's a little bit different treatment. And uh, it's a, it's a little bit more higher. It's it's definitely a higher standard, you know, when it comes to yeah. to reserve. So if you have any, if you make any little thing, we can't let it fly. You know, if you if you nick yeah. your line, if you fray your line, just uh, accidentally, yeah, yeah. So, so an easy description for people is take your shoelace and rub it against the hook mm-hmm. side of Velcro and watch how it snags a little bit of fibers off of your shoelace. Velcro is a good thing to bring up. That always. is a untreated yeah. line uh, in your in your. Reserve lines are going to be more of that supple material. <laughs> now take a piece of waxed dental floss and rub it against Velcro, and it's not going to do anything to it. And your main lines are typically going to be more of a treated type line. They're going to they're going to be a lot more snag resistant to Velcro. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of reserve toggles have Velcro on them. The chances yeah. of snagging it there, chances of snagging on a little something in your car, chances of, of any of these things. Yeah, the Velcro is probably one of the biggest things, and I've seen that, and I've. We've actually had a down, you know, a canopy before because it got so much damage from from just from Velcro. So a lot, you know, some regular, uh, some manufacturers are getting away from it a little bit. Uh, I think ultimately we'll see less and less Velcro in the future. You know, like, I hope so. Yeah, it's just kind of, it's great for certain applications, but ultimately we're over it. I mean, it's tr- <laughs> certainly trended down from the rigs in the '90s that had Velcro all over everything. everywhere. Man, that Dude. shit was cool. It's like your Velcro shoes. My first rig went in for a recall or a service bulletin to be, be upgraded to Velcro flaps. We've talked about on the show, I had a dolphin uh, with the snaps oh, yeah. on the riser oh, cover. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've actually seen a couple of those still in action. Dude, the, the snaps just bust Holy apart. <laughs> so you know like how snaps, you have the I bottom snap and the top button is a cap and a button that goes inside? That it would break apart, so now you could just never resnap your riser cover again. Oh uh, right. So yeah, it was just garbage, man. I can't remember what. I did see one. It was a while back, but yeah, yeah. yeah you don't see that shit very often anymore. Yeah, it's they don't awful. even make the rig anymore. Somebody else no. owns the uh, uh, the TSO, and are making good rigs today with that TSO. They've redesigned the rig just a little bit. Is so. it that glide? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as uh, they don't, as long as they don't powder coat their freaking cable housings. I got one where they black powder coated the the cutaway handle. Uh, cable house, uh, cable housings. Yeah, holy shit! I remember shit, that. Dude. I think I was in the loft when yeah? you had that thing. Yeah. Man, I've never. So I've cleaned a lot of really dirty handles. Yeah, like really, really nasty dirt. Like we had to play a little bit of tug of war. This was the dirtiest thing I've ever. It was a brand new rig, like Kyle Whitcoff dirty. Yeah. Oh yeah, goat <laughs> dirty. And uh, man, I couldn't believe how how nasty it was. So whether they fixed that that powder coating process. Or not, you know, it's kind of, I let the, you know, we kind of talked about it with the, the owner of the rig and then let the manufacturer know and all that stuff, but. The folks who own uh, Anyways. Peregrine Manufacturing Glide, uh, make the Glide rig. And it's, I, a, it's a clean rig. I bet if the, if it's yeah. been talked about, they've addressed it's it. It's been addressed, yeah, Su- yeah, yeah. Super, so heads up, fellas. I like the small ones, especially, like, like the, they're pretty sleek. 
But it's no infinity. No, no, no it's no infinity <laughs> and it's no Javi. Oh man. What what's your favorite rig to pack? Oh, packing. Uh my favorite rig ultimately I just is probably the javelin. Um to pack. I kind of like a vector especially if it's been broken. An old squishy javelin, like my old javelin, man, easiest thing in the world. I can probably, you know, do on you know, my own rig. You know, maybe I do a little looser inspection than I do on yours. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, I make sure it's in working order. Um, but yeah, I can pack that thing pretty damn quick. And what, what makes the difference to, to a rigger about, about how, you know, what makes it easier and more, more difficult? Oh, uh, basically, it comes down to... Like the the flaps, how the flaps come together. Like number of how flaps. the how the spring compresses. <laughs> Not so much the number of flaps, but uh, like when the when the bottom flap closes last, opposed to the top flap. So the top flap usually closes last on most rigs. Mm-hmm. You get a few where it's opposite, and it just kind of tweaks things. You know, I feel like I should be able to figure out how to make it like no difference, right? But fuck, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it still fucks with me sometimes. So I have a special tool just for those rigs, and it makes it pretty butter. Um, but, you know, there's a few that have uh, the cutter on the flap that's above the spring, right? So the cutter from an AAD. For the AAD. So those ones are a little bit tricky because you, cr- you can actually smash the cutter. Um, you can break the, the, the cutter. Um, so you have to be really careful with that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of distorts the flaps a little bit, so it becomes a little bit higher maintenance. So as far as maintenance goes, like easy to pack, you know, javelin vector... Super easy to pack. Wings is the worst, man. <laughs> That's it, what it really every comes down. Says. It comes down to how it would be fine if I took a fucking javelin spring and put it on a uh, a wings. It'd be the easiest thing to pack in the world. But with with the wings spring, the sunrise spring, it's coated. So you have to stuff the material, and I, and I assume it's because it's coated. It's the only difference, right? So you have to put the material in the menu in the. In the Manual says, right? You put the material inside the spring and compress the spring. Oh, okay, as, as opposed to compressing the spring and then rolling with the, the material pile of shoot. outside. Yeah. So if the material is outside, it's not inhibiting compressing that spring at all. When you have to put it inside the spring, it becomes a whole thing, and you have to do it super clean. You have to have the loop the exact same, the exact right length. Everything becomes very, very, very temperamental, and you usually have to do an open. Like you have to, you close it. Fuck. And then you open it and close it again. So w- once it's closed, wh- how do you uh, tell? There will be a little bit of a lift in the spring, right? The spring might not be sitting nice and flush because it's a semi-exposed um, pilot shoot spring. So the, that little round thing you see is actually a freaking whole spring that's, you know, what, two feet or so it's tall. It's the, the top of the compressed spring. <clears throat> yep. So with that semi-exposed... Javelin is super easy to keep clean when you have the material outside. When you have the material inside with the uh, with the wings and semi-exposed, it just makes it so tricky. And, and unless it's just an experienced rigger, they're probably not going to make it super nice, super flush. Um, and it really comes down to not just experience, but like the want. The you know, I want this shit to look good, so I'm going to spend the extra half an hour it takes to make the wings look good. Uh, <laughs> So if you're lucky, I won't, you know, and for the most part, we don't even, you know, we don't charge extra um, for our wings. Um, although sometimes I wonder if we should. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ma- Matthew uh, had me watch him. Uh, he gave me a pretty uh, in-depth explanation of a reserve repack not very long ago. You were in the loft when that happened. Okay. And so I asked him some questions and asked Francisco some, some questions <laughs> afterwards. And both of them uh, remarked how clean and neat and meticulous your pack jobs are. 
Yeah, sometimes you're an anal son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the guy I want to learn from. Yeah, I feel like it's it's one of those things where it might seem unnecessary to a lot of a lot of riggers, um, but ulti- you know, it just comes down to I want the same product every time. I want everything to be exactly the same, and I have kind of a system to, for doing that. And I remember uh, asking Yanni how uh, he packs so well, right? Because it's not just about speed; it's about packing well. This is early on when I'm learning to pack and whatnot. I don't know, man. I just pack it. I just pack it. <laughs> well, it really kind of comes down to doing the same thing every time, you yeah. know, taking the time to do the things that are important. Um, and ultimately, maybe it seems like it takes longer in the beginning because you're being a little more meticulous. But as it becomes part of your routine, it's just, it's just is the pack job. So it's not really taking me, you know, I can still do a pack job very cleanly, very quickly. And, uh, and it kind of transitions to my, my patches. I feel like my patches are so super clean now and that's not it's because of effort right <laughs> i really 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 want them to look clean i don't want any flaws i just and it's not just appearances it's functionality as well you know but with a reserve it's gonna work got to but but it's got to exactly right yeah. so it's not like it's gonna work it's got to work so part of it's just being clean for for that reason you know and uh and then there's cosmetics, you know, all skydiving's what I mean ultimately it has to work first from my perspective, but that's magic anyway. So ultimately skydivers want to look good. So it's <laughs> cosmetics as well. So um when I do a clean pack job, it's also gonna have you know, it's gonna come out cosmetically clean. And who's got the best looking rig on the drop zone, do you think? Oh, you called me out because you know how I feel, Nick. Just man, that's that thing sexy. He's talking, so about, he's talking about my ring. Right. <laughs> That's because he forgot he packed mine right before yours. Oh, oh man, no, no, that thing's super I'm just, nice, I'm just talking man. about cos- cosmetic. <clears throat> uh, but to- yeah. Totally what looks Dude, mine's good looking. Come on. It's good looking, yeah, really. Yeah, it's I good mean, looking. Uh, but yeah, that's red, red and pizzazz. black, most overused colors. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the rest of it that makes it look It's good. cool that you could barely pick it out of a lineup with 50 other rings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he just got de-miked. <laughs> if you're just listening, I, I reached over and flicked off Nick's mic. Is it back on? I've been de-platformed. I've de-platformed. <laughs> um, Man, that thing is nice, though. It really does. It is a it sexy me up a little bit. Yeah. I actually, uh, Riley and I have a deal. She's going to design my next rig, even though she doesn't work for Infinity anymore uh, much love Blake um, I just have a, a, a friendship with Riley uh, mm-hmm, we're becoming mm-hmm, friends mm-hmm. but that's just history that's so just it. a funny story Riley Badass. actually designed four different rigs for, for me yeah based on uh, she was actually here when uh, I picked up we were sitting on this very couch I, th- th- I think I saw him yeah she she um, had downloaded uh, a bunch of sacred geometry artwork, just the, the uh, line drawings, okay, yeah. and she just let me pick out my my favorite shapes from the sacred geometry stuff, and and designed four different uh, rigs, and I got to pick my favorite, and that's the one that I have now. And uh, uh, Brooke Dawson, also a former yeah, yeah. guest, is getting one of the other designs, but uh, doing uh, doing pink instead of uh, okay. instead of the teal. So, so she's got an infinity. There'll, there, there'll be another sexy one. Okay. Dude, you, it's uh, it's gotta be kind of weird for you because. You got that sacred geometry. Other people have had it as well. But then Riley has made that somewhere else UPT a sacred geometry rig or two. Now Adam Buckner Option Studios is doing more sacred geometry. And we're seeing more and more rigs out there. You're a trendsetter. I don't know. They're just neat shapes. You're a trendsetter. Man. I don't think that that's true. They're like very triangles. appealing. <laughs> I, d- I like hexagons. I became most attracted to them when I was, uh, what, like 21 or so. I might have eaten some mushrooms at that time. <laughs> and I swear I saw the giant circles 
in my little black hole that I was, you know, in my little yeah, and dark place. <laughs> alive and moving. And yeah, yeah. Communicating this, like, important meditative, information. Meditative, like, little zen place that I was at, and I just saw this, like, <laughs> these big, giant circles all intertwining. I don't know what was going on, but <laughs> it was pretty... <laughs> so I want to speak... The good old days. Speaking of circles and, and reserves... And one of the things you mentioned is how can you tell if you do or don't like a reserve uh, pack job, Nick, you were mentioning Mm -hmm. earlier. And one of the things was it was the way a pilot shoot rocks or cocks. And describing that to to Mm. people listening and talking more about it from you is if you look at your reserve repack and you have a partially exposed pilot shoot, that means you see that round cap. Um, If you can see any gap between your pilot shoot and the pack job itself, then chances are the pilot shoot is or the closing loop is too long or needs to be tighter or something like that. Um, or if you have a fully enclosed pop top or a pilot sheet rather, which means you see no round disc and you see a ring protruding or pushing yeah. on it, you still have a too loose of one. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, aesthetically, it just doesn't look good. Yeah, it looks awful. Yeah, yeah. But second of all, is there any problems with that as far as a performance standpoint? I feel like there's, you know, there's a little bit of variance, you know, allowance, but, uh, when you, when you have those that are really loose, and I've seen a few, you mm-hmm. know, it almost looks like alien busting out of the, the belly, right? Yeah. <laughs> it uh, really could come off of your back wonky, right? Instead of having a nice, strong launch straight up and out, it could literally come off weird and do the maybe hit you in the back the of the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Accordion you right in the back of the head, maybe wrap around your, you know, it could definitely do some funky stuff. Um, one of my big concerns about like even wingsuiting and, and whatnot is just having those extra materials, um, the booties, the and even your your jumpsuits, you know, your belly suits with those booties, you know, it could, things could get wrapped around that pretty easily. So really comes down, you want a nice clean launch, and the key to having a nice clean launch, a nice strong launch is really having everything, you know, the right length, the, the you know, the right setting. And it's, you know, the manufacturers give really good guidelines, but sometimes people don't realize there's a little range there, you know, so it's plus or minus a quarter inch or a half inch sometimes. And yeah. Instead of being, you know, five inches <laughs> plus or minus, it's like five and three quarters. You know, that's just, you know, and there's certain rigs. There's no rig out there that I know of that needs a five or six inch loop, you know, but five, five and a quarter is pretty standard. Um, and, and uh, you know, some people don't cinch down their loops properly, you know, early on. So sometimes when you create a closing loop, if you don't pre-tension it, it's almost like your main closing loop. You know, it'll get a little longer yeah. when that loop, when that knot tightens up. So it's a very similar process. And we're using a little more torque, a little more tension, so it moves more. So um, let's. Get, I want to bring that down a little bit more, layman's. For you and I, though, it was a very casual yeah, conversation. Yeah. But uh, take a piece of string and make it really tight, and then put a spring behind it. It's going to stretch. Yeah. So the Cypress closing loop, the closing loop in your reserve is literally pre-stretched by the riggers. Right. That mm. way the, the... Should be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> should be. And if they don't do that, it can it can lead into like some wonky tops and, and, and stuff like that. So um, everybody has their methods and whatnot, and mm. a lot of them work, but sometimes people just need to um, what else? just watch that, you know? What else could cause that loosening of the cap? So obviously a stretch... Humidity, stuff like that, right? So compression of the of the reserve especially bigger reserves like the tandem reserves i feel like we have we just kind of have to maintain those every once in a while you get a wonky spring Um, there's so much material in such a big rig that eventually the material just settles especially as it gets more uh humidity in the air stuff like that it kind of compresses things so 
Um, sometimes, you know, they might have done everything right for that environment, and then it come, they come to somewhere else, and all of a sudden you see a little tilt, a little wonk in the spring. It could also be uh, a little bit of compression and stuff like that. So it's something to, to tend to. What, you know, the unfortunate part is, you know, I've seen, especially wings, right? I've seen them come to the drop zone, and they're so fucking bad. Like <laughs> We're like, man, I don't even know if you should get on the airplane right now. Let's go grab a rigger and check check it out. And I remember being on the airplane, and there was... A guy up front, they're like, Jeremy, we're on the airplane. I'm obviously in the back because they have a wingsuit on. Because I'm going to pack a rig now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you think? Of, what do you think of this guy's rig? I'm like, he should probably fucking get it repacked. Should he jump? It's fucking, that's up to him, right? <laughs> like, I didn't, not my pack job, not my problem. <laughs> no, no, no. Ultimately, it's like, hey, man, we need to address this right away. Yeah. I don't necessarily suggest you jump, but if you jump, I'm not going to like break your balls. Um, but there are times where you just got to ground it. You know, you, if you see something that's not looking safe, just ground it. Come back to the ground. If you have a, an excuse like, hey, I need to see the rigor about something, they're probably not going to charge you for your slot, you know. So it's it's worth taking the airplane ride down, checking it out, making sure it's good because, you know, you just yeah. that's something you don't want to play with. So <clears throat> really just reinforce that. If you're in the plane and you have a question that you need to ask somebody else about safety, ride the plane down. Yeah. And and don't look at your rigger and ask him to to do some in plane rigging. One yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we've all I think not we all but a few of us have seen in our lives a pilot shoot come out in the plane not in a dangerous way as far as it went out the door or a, or a container flop open and we've actually seen people do in plane rigging and close or pack each other's rig in the plane. Mm. Man, no. If there's any questionable rigging thing, ride the plane down, man. Your butt your butt is so worth every bit and ounce of that. And even if you get charged for a plane ride, man, you're you're worth way more than that. Well, oh yeah, most yeah, yeah. of us are. But we're usually pretty understanding. So, just a great instance. I, I caught uh, a wingsuit just the other day. Um, the the zipper had come apart from. So there's a little bungee that holds your zippers together. So when you put on a wingsuit, you have um, you have to kind of incorporate it in your rig. So when you um, basically zip on the wingsuit, you have two zippers that come from opposite directions. And when they come together, they kind of come around your handles, right? So you have to bind those zippers together in order to keep the handle on the outside of the wingsuit. If those come apart, the handle will go on the inside of the wingsuit. So we were in the airplane where, you know, people are getting out. Um, a wingsuiter turns back to me and says, does this look right? I'm like, fuck no, <laughs> you have no handle. <laughs> no, she, she, she knew it was, uh, out of place. And, and she was like, was hundred percent willing to ride the airplane down because it wasn't her fault at all. Um, what had happened is the bungee that was, that's built for that wingsuit to, to retain it had slipped off. The bungee is not necessarily the most secure system. So I've been kind of telling people to kind of get away from it. Look, and i kind of taught them about options so <clears throat> it was the design it was designed it was being used as designed and it'd come off and miss Schwang, she's so sweet she says <laughs> i should ride the airplane down and i'm like yeah you should probably ride the airplane down and i look back to orhe i'm like hey buddy we've got a little bit of an issue are you okay with doing a go around while we sort it out if not we're um you know she's gonna ride the airplane down so orhe was super responsive gave us you know i told him you know uh, we need a little bit of times, you know, whatever you can give us. Ultimately, it's really easy. I, because uh, I'm very familiar. Any other case, obviously, she would have rode the airplane down. But with the gear, I was able to kind of open it up and, and take care of it real quick. But mo, you know, I would say 100% of the time, if you have any question like that, yeah, you just ride the airplane down. 
Um, especially if you lose your handle inside your suit in a wingsuit. <laughs> Did you ever uh, see um, any of the wingsuits that were designed to go over your entire yes, rig? And because Bart had some. Yeah, I didn't know if you knew Bart. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Did yeah. you s- you know what I'm talking about? No, I haven't seen. So those. your handles and your chest strap are inside your rig. All that comes out is your three rings. There's slots inside the jumpsuit, and you take a you know instructor assist handles on tandems commonly sure, called yeah. chicken handles. You take a little lanyard, you hook them around your cable above your handle. So when you yeah. pull these handles exterior of your jumpsuit, you're actually pulling the cables for so the So there's a things. handle with a little lanyard that's attached to your cutaway cables. Not even your cutaway handle, just the cables. This just sounds and like a lot of stuff that could be improperly And routed. it comes out at like a 90, so the angle isn't right. You it know what I mean? So they actually, right. they actually discontinued that, and they, and they will fix it yeah. for free, right? Do you so remember what Bart's handles were? Yeah, they were big, uh, or, uh, like these little soft titties. He had boobies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> titty yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> he had titty handles for his cutaway and reserve pole. So running around with wingsuit with, <clears throat> with super outboard titties. <laughs> and he was so he was jumping that wingsuit with a fucking JFX ninety nine, which is not recommended. <laughs> and you know he he had good body awareness. He was on top of it. Um, and yeah, never had any chops that I'm aware of. The, granted, the JFX is one of those canopies yeah, that opens. Forgiving. Like, uh, I've had buddies try to get that canopy like spinning just by throwing their harness uneven, and like, dude, this canopy wants to open straight. Yeah. Once it's open and flies, then you'll make it go uneven. Mm-hmm. Um, God dang! I'll let's see, we lose track every time we get in this room. It's like a torn. Yeah, we jump around a little bit. I can oh, see that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> That's it's all been good. an hour and a half, and it does not feel like it. At no, all. man. That you, you've definitely. Uh, this is what I was expecting out of you. Some really good storytelling conversations and uh, just man, hand propping just, a plane so into a building. <laughs> 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 there's so much crazy shit Jed and I got yeah. into. It's just. So I want to go back to this this rigging expedition. That I, I want to become a rigger. And again, man, so many damn questions we <clears> have. <throat> but uh some people can watch, they'll observe, they'll see a rig, uh, a reserve repack. If you want to become a rigger, if you think you want to become a rigger, my advice would be do that step first. Just go watch and pack a reserve. And by the way, if you don't think your friend cusses, I, I have some friends who know <laughs> Jay Stokes well, and they'll say, Mr. Stokes or Jay never cusses. I'm like, well, A, you ain't been around him long enough, and B, you've never been in a rigging loft with a <laughs> gentleman. Because the most kind, polite Christian man cusses when he's a rigger. Yeah, oh, I, mean, yeah. I wanted to ask if, if you were going to offer uh, a course that teaches people how to swear at a sewing machine. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we did talk briefly about that. <laughs> that was one thing. Uh, let's see what it was like. I, nobody's perfect, and you know everybody has their frustrations. And I know Nick's like, well, because we were talking about something in particular. But Nick says, uh, "Man, all I know is I don't want to be around you um, if I'm a sewing machine, <laughs> fucking up kind of thing." Because man, I hate some sewing machines sometimes. Man, Dude, I will throw that motherfucker I, off the balcony. I have I have really <laughs> limited experience on the sewing machine. The thanks to you and Matthew, you guys have shown me a few things where it's like, <laughs> I can, dude, I can use that bar tack. And then that uh, straight stitch, I did a couple of uh, patches on my jumpsuit, so some Velcro down. But e- even then, like, things that, like, the, the needle came out. Yeah. And it's like, man, <laughs> I, if you weren't here right now to tell me what is happening and how to fix it, I'd have no idea. Yeah. Why did and, this and it's happen? like, that's a pretty simple thing. And then you oh, get yeah. into the bobbins and where the thread runs and how many different things can, can go wrong. I got to say, I never took a sewing machine class. <laughs> yeah, how, how much, like, I think uh, packing a parachute is a pretty obvious part of, of, of being a rigger, of packing reserves. How, how much of what you do is, uh, is using a sewing machine? Well, more and more as I, as I take on more of these projects, right? Initially, you know, you, you almost try to limit how much you have to sew because it's like, it's a little bit of that 
um, factor that you're a little bit less comfortable with and, and whatnot. So I've kind of taken, um, again, more of that on and, and pursued that more so I can, you know, pursue it to not necessarily perfection, but as well as I can do. Um, so initially I, I'm a little bit, you know, trying to avoid it, but, uh, now I would say there's one day a week, maybe not a full day that I dedicate to, to some sewing projects here and there. Um, today I did nothing but sewing projects. Um, but sewing projects, man, they, they eat up time. Like you wouldn't believe you get you stuck know? in a time. Oh warp. man, you get stuck in a time warp. So something that yeah. I'm, you know, I might do it. And nowadays I can do a patch super quick, right? I'm, I'm, really efficient. I've got it down. It's going to look beautiful. Um, but if, uh, you know, back in the day when I was learning, I'm, do, I'm charging $50 for this patch. It took me three hours, <laughs> three hours, you know, like as far as time goes, it really eats it up. Um, today I did a slider channel for, uh, Lori. There's a fun jumper on the package and she really needed it. Um, Fudala's old canopy, Fudala's first canopy, yeah. and then uh, next girlfriend of mine, she owned that canopy for a while, <laughs> and then it came full circle back around. Laura's got it, and uh, it pops in the loft again. I'm like, holy shit! All right, yeah, I remember this canopy. It needs a reline for sure. It looks like ketchup so, and mustard. Yeah, it looks. Oh man, it looks McDonald's style. <laughs> McDonald's sponsor. It does look like McDonald's. Um, but it's a good canopy, yeah. uh, especially now it's got new lines. I put new slider channels on it. Um, and those are projects I actually enjoy a lot more than a repack now, right? So the satisfaction I get from, dude, those things are money. They're perfect. You couldn't have, you could you could definitely say PD maybe did that if you, you know, if somebody didn't know any better. <laughs> but yeah, it came, you know, when these projects come out and they come super clean, it's just such a rewarding, rewarding feeling. So uh, I, I like to take more and more on. Um, Kyle Whitkoff, Mr. Goat. He uh, ran into some power lines on a base jump one time, and luckily he's still alive. Um, but it's just one of those things, sometimes you don't realize how dangerous shit is until you get in a situation like that. But it woke him up very, you know, and he did, he did good. He responded well from that incident. But his canopy was pretty electrified. So I'm like... <laughs> did it shock him? It did not shock no, him. No, I he, did it, do it. Yeah, <laughs> it shocked him, though, yeah. Dude, that goat hit the ground and fucking popped up running, man. <laughs> he, he popped right up, grabbed his gear, fucking stashed it in the stash bag, and he's knocked out the power to fucking two city blocks. Maybe I shouldn't say this. <laughs> Fuck. Anyways, that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> there was a goat running downtown. Yeah. Somehow he ran into some power lines. I don't know exactly what happened. Allegedly. And, uh, Just say allegedly. Allegedly. It allegedly. He was allegedly. on mushrooms at the time. He could have been. Could have been. Nah, I hope not. That one, of the, goat, one of those fainting know. goats. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> he fainted right into those power lines. <laughs> and uh, so his, his canopy took all the shock load. The, the, he arced two wires together. Boom. Explosion. And uh, they, they separate and fall to the ground. And uh, but it fried his canopy, so I'm like, oh, I'm I'm kind of putting a bet, you know, a couple months later that I can fix this canopy, right? So I, I kind of look at it, hang it up. It's it's got barbecued stabilizer, right? The whole stabilizer <laughs> needs replaced. <laughs> like every metal disc on that stabilizer, like was all melted all around wow. it, right? So it just fucking melted this canopy all along the stabilizer, and then there's a few hot spots here and there on the bottom skin, and a few like just snag marks and. So he's like, well, I'll sell it to you for 700 bucks. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. I haven't really got to look, o look it over very well. Maybe I should look it over again. And I'm like, cool, you know, I'll give you 700 bucks for it. And then I started looking it over again. And I start sweating when I put my finger through a hot spot, you know. 
I'm like, oh shit, because there maybe is more more heat damage than I realized. So it's one of those projects I'm I'm willing to take on. I'm gonna replace whatever I gotta do. If I have to replace a cell, it's a base canopy. You know, there's no TSO. There's I can do whatever the hell I want. No. You uh, still have to make it safe though, right? I mean, so technically you can do the same with your technically. main. You could tie strings yeah, yeah, and a bed true. sheet together yeah, yeah, yeah. to your rig yeah, and jump no out TSO on that guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean if you're that dumb, go for it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I made sure it was properly done. I uh, did some really nice patchwork. Um, showed it to Simon at Skydiving Services that I got my master riggers uh, ticket from, and uh, he was really, you know, really happy with it. There's a few things that I obviously could have done uh, better, integrated into seams and and whatnot. And then he took on the task of replacing the stabilizer for me. So he replaced the entire stabilizer and like one side panel of the cell above that. Anyways. It was a lot of work, man. I would have paid five over $500 probably for that work normally. And he told me to pay him whatever I thought I owed him. Um, and so he was, he was a really good guy. Nurturing helped me kind of take on some of the more of these new projects. And, and so the more sewing I can do, the more I feel like I'm pursuing um, rigging still, right? Because pack jobs are easy. Uh, so I want to keep evolving and keep growing from that. And eventually maybe even start building more things here and there, right? So I've heard you talk about building pilot shoots. <clears throat> I've act, yeah, I've, I've built uh, a couple here and there. Um, it's one of those projects you just need to take time, build yourself a template, template yeah. and get everything sorted out. And uh, I want to start doing a lot more of that. Um, I'm needing to make the time, not be lazy. Don't spend those evenings just relaxing. You know, s stay active, which I do pretty well, you know, but... I take a few hours every evening <laughs> to you, chill you out. You got yeah, to, yeah. man. You definitely have it's to. It's so important. I, I'm <clears throat> Nick is probably in this room the biggest believer in hard work. Um, for many years, I were hard work, dedication, time, just nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. And at some point, I was convinced in the power of rest and having a good night's rest. Taking good time night's off. rest. That's the main thing. And man, I make Ooh. sure I get my sleep. Yeah. I am a grouchy fucker if i can't get up early enough to, to do my you routine could just whether stop I, you could stop that i'm a grouchy fucker yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have your uh, routine though if i don't get my routine yeah yeah i think uh if i feel pressured so there's there's certain times i have to remember to take that deep breath and then just kind of like okay take that pressure off myself like there's no reason to feel this pressure there's way worse things going on in the world than what i have to deal with right now so just take a step back and and don't feel the uh, enjoy the, life. Yeah, yeah, enjoy it more, and 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 it's easy. I feel with the right people around you, and the you know, and the right, uh, um, like even that having the right people to go make that base jump the other night on my anxiety kind of driven day where I needed to relax. And man, that was such a good release. Holy shit, it, it felt so much better. And it's maybe it's an addiction too. <laughs> I, Dude, I, I definitely noticed that this time of year when we have you know we string together a handful of days or more that we aren't jumping and then everybody's unhappy everybody's sad i mean aside from the, the financial impact that it has right right it's just like man it, this it feels dark and sad <laughs> here and then the day of skydiving happens and it like lifts everybody back up and we're all, we've all up. had our fix we've all got that <laughs> that good dopamine going we all live on sesame street again um, we're wrapping towards the end, but, so I want to make sure we fit in this last part of the conversation. And it's back to that new jumper who wants to work towards becoming a rigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm now going to approach you, and this is something you guys offer. Primary rigging services is you're, you're in Matthew's loft, but also it's not just rigging services. There's there's training and apprentices, uh, apprenticeships. Yeah, apprenticeships. 
Thank you. English. <laughs> English, motherfucker. Um, as I come up to you, what mm. can I expect to do when I first start working with you in the loft to, to learn about rigging myself? Uh, there's a lot of a lot of people will come up and, and when they get their start is because they have a, a project that they need done. You know, so whether they need a repack and they want to watch or uh, a reline and they want to help. Um, so a lot of people start off like that. Um, but if somebody wants to just straight up uh, approach from, hey, I want to learn and I've had, you know, you know, a few people do that. It's really comes down to, well, what kind of time schedule do you have? Because you need to make sure you can, can put in the time um, and effort that it's going to take because it's not just, you know, hanging out at the drop zone because most people come to the drop zone and it's fun time. It's like vacation time in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's great. But when it comes time to like, if you want to learn to rig it, you really have to take that focus. Um, and, and it's not just um, fun time anymore. You know, it's, and it is, it's, it's a good fun learning environment, right? But you do have to stay focused. So um, I like to introduce people with, you know, building the kill line, you know, doing a line set with me, obviously, um, watching me do a repack. And then you want to get your hands on something. Okay. So um, we're going to talk about a repack, maybe a little more in depth while I do it. And then we're going to get your hands on a repack. So we've actually got a, um, uh, a training rig, you know, in a couple of them, but one in particular where you can just smash out jumps and it's no longer an airworthy rig. You mean smash or, out pack jobs. Yes, <laughs> sorry, smash out pack jobs. You could literally smash the jump. I, li I like to smash the I like to smash jumps. Uh, so yeah, you can smash out some repacks, uh, kind of get that under your belt on a on a rig that's pretty easy to pack, and then we're gonna give you a couple things that are a little a little tougher. Um so if you can put in that kind of time, it really takes, I would say, a week of dedicated time just to do your pack jobs, right? Just to learn and smash mm -hmm. them out. And we're talking, you know, doing what, three, four a day? That's a full day as a it's brand a full new learning day. Rigger, and it's going to be frustrating. And yeah. so the more, excuse me, the more time you can put into it, you know, the easier it's going to be. But we have to also do it in, in a time frame that's manageable as far as for a learning curve. So you can't come do a pack job every month or you know we want we want to do this in a timely fashion so we're gonna we're gonna try and set aside you know some days where we're gonna focus on you know learning the pack job learning why we do this and that and rather than just the steps um we're gonna spend some days doing relines because you got to earn your keep right so you know we offer you know you could pay but we also offer you to work off your training as well so mm -hmm. um you know you, you can come up learn to do relines um, do things for yourself, and uh, it's 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 a rewarding experience. You get to see yourself grow, and it's uh, yeah, it's something that we want to start encouraging more and more. And and I have a lot of time, right? A little bit more because Matthew's going to school. He's focusing on you know his business uh, degree, and that's what I think makes him pretty a pretty good balanced uh, aspect of, of rigging. Because yeah. you know maybe I can take on a few more sewing projects, but he's fully capable of doing most. And he's got, you know, that kind of that, that little business more background or I'm just like work, 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 work. And, you know, business comes along with it. But yeah, he comes with that more thoughtful process with that where I have the more thoughtful process of um, operations, you know, things, operations, you know. Yeah. So we're a really good balance, I, uh, I feel. And, and I feel like we're crushing it in a, in a, in a you know, general sense. And he's going to help doing more training as well, especially when he gets more time away from school. So. Yeah. You know, if people are interested in learning rigging, definitely uh, come up and, and we can, you know, have. there's a lot of give and take. There's a lot of, you know, I'm always up there. 
So it kind of comes down to your schedule. You know, there's certain times where I'm super swamped, so I don't have time for people. So we just need to kind of, you know, schedule it and make it work. Mm-hmm. And and uh, for the m- most part, um, people that take it seriously can get their rigors ticket in a month. Mm-hmm. You know, Kit is fully ready to get his rigors ticket right now. He just, you know, kind of comes him. down to funds and whatnot, yeah. you know, so... Um, I, I walk up there regularly, and it's very uncommon. I don't see a guy or a gal uh, up there learning. And you're going to be doing line sets and learning about how to install line sets. Super valuable, but uh, a part of learning about line sets is learning about how to know it's time for new line sets. People yeah. don't inspect their gear on a daily basis, which we probably should do. <coughs> you did a pretty cool seminar for that. Um, it's on the Rating Center fan page uh, for Safety Day. If, if you right. guys haven't heard uh, all our Safety Day seminars, check out the Rating Center on Facebook and you know Jeremy to talk about daily gear inspection. But you learn how to do those things yourself. You learn how to get involved yourself. Uh, there's so much more, and you, you've explained to rigging. There's line sets. There's working on sliders. Sewing. There's so sewing. The canopy sewing, the the patches, the just you know not, not a whole lot of people are familiar with sewing machines anymore. No, you know. So that was a huge learning curve for me. Rory helped a lot in the beginning. And then it really just comes down to learning the hard way sometimes, and like shit. Why is this machine being a piece of shit? What's the sewing like for for the rigger's ticket? What's the required sewing? So you have to be able to sew a canopy patch, um, an airworthy canopy patch. So we we have a, a special seam, a, a special way to patch it, and you have to be able to do that. But really, sewing they don't even really teach you much about lines or anything. Like, I feel like that's one thing that we give a lot more. And it's not, like I said, it's not just line sets, but kill lines, adjusting brakes, um, all these little things that some newer riggers don't know how to do because they don't actually teach it in the riggers training because it's not a requirement. Um, the requirement is having 20 pack jobs, passing the oral and, and uh, written test. And then, you know, your pack job is partial, you know, your pack jobs, your uh, canopy patch, and they show you how to work with grommets, replace grommets. Do acidity testing. Make sure there's no acid um, um, on the rig, battery acid or whatever, right? So you test for acidity. So there's a few little things like that. Pull test, making sure you can do a 30 and 40 pound pull test efficiently, safely. And what we do is we we actually put three a uh, three inch section of your reserve under 40 pounds of tension, right? So there's like this little just this little tiny section that we lift 40 pounds off the ground with. And it's if you come lift that weight, you know it's pretty amazing. I hate watching y'all do the pull test, <laughs> oh, man. man. It, it used so to make scary. me so tense, like man, I don't want to fuck this guy's canopy up, right? But you need to. But you need to if it needs to if it needs to rip, it needs to rip, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was pretty tense in the beginning. But I've actually I haven't seen a reserve fail yet. Um, I've seen some mains. <laughs> hey, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. I I think we did one together. Uh, we <laughs> saw main fail. My buddy mm-hmm. Terry had bought one, and we were able to poke holes through it with our thumbs. Oh, I no. Think, was oh, that you? Oh, wow. No, no, yeah. I, th- I don't think so. I thought, oh, maybe, I forget who was there then. The t- the top, like, I forget what cell. We were actually able Probably to the center, but poke our thumbs. It was very close. Yeah, poke yeah. our thumbs through, like, just grabbing the material, massaging, manipulating it. It's like, man, we're not sure. And just pull on it a little bit. It was like, man, this, I don't know if it was past a pull test. And then just kind of pushed on it with my thumb and poof, right through it. <sighs> Uh, I felt I'll like definitely do that. I'll do like a little finger, you know, little finger test, yeah. a little, yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like an asshole. I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> and I don't remember who the rigger was, but they're like, bro, 
you didn't do that. That <laughs> needed to be done. Like that happened. If that yeah. didn't happen, he would have jumped it, and that would have happened. Like that. Right. That's okay. You you pushed a hole in it with your thumb. Yeah, that's yeah. not supposed to happen. Was that so like yeah. UV damage, like sun damage? Um. Or? So I don't know what that one was from, but like one thing you mentioned is acid, battery acid damage, and a lot of people will keep shit in the trunk of their car that you should never keep a parachute near. Because yeah, people don't re or, for, uh, or they forget that man, shit. I had a battery in my in the truck of my car last week, or I had this, yeah. that, or whatever. So you have to be really careful. And that's why it's nice to have those gear bags. You know, keep your gear in some sort of bag. Keep it. You know, I've even seen uh, my buddy uh, Ree. He uh, had a brand new javelin. He's uh, you know moving it around, and whatnot. He shows up to the to the drop zone one day. He's like, "What do you think about this?" And he has a big nick in the side of his leg strap. The rig has fifty jumps on it, and. Uh, and yeah, so he had to get it repaired, um, just because he was being a little careless on his moving around and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it's definitely good to to watch out for that. I mean, this sure. really quickly sidetracked, but it brings out another good conversation of chemicals in your canopy. And I think you recently shared it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. I yeah. wanted to uh, yeah, touch it. on that. Bring it was it. just like, and I, and I think Yanni had seen it in the past, and that's when I first got my introduction to DEET and its effects on uh, you know nylon and and stuff like that. And it is known to break down plastics and, and, and uh, artificial materials. So that's overlooked so much, especially at a drop zone where we have so many damn mosquitoes, and they're coming. Uh, I've, I've tried not to think about them, but we know they're coming. <laughs> so <clears throat> so DEET is um, in a lot of bug sprays. If you don't realize the that, main you thing live under in, a in rock. Sprays. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've always been anti-DEET, even before I started rigging. You know, as soon as I kind of learned this, so we go to base jumps in certain areas where there's just mosquitoes everywhere because we're walking through tall grass and this this is just awful. And I just I'll wear long sleeves and and pants and they're still trying to get you right. And the only thing that saves you is climbing faster. As soon as you get to like 10, 20 feet, the mosquitoes fuck off, you know. So um, it's good, nice. I, I've I've found thanks to Daniel uh, Tancredi, he uh, introduced uh, a lotion to me. It's been around for six to ten you know it's been around for a little while now um and it's been proven to be very effective so i actually sandwiched some of that uh, lotion in between a few uh, pieces of material and let it sit for like three months in between just like a book basically right and then i did a 40 pound pull test on the nylon and literally i had my clamps with a 40 pound weight and i'm like shaking it and i'm like trying to get it to, to to fail and really it didn't leave any oily residue. It left a little, you know, white crusty stuff basically as it dried out. Um, so as far as effects on the canopy, I feel very safe. So to be honest, when I'm going to these nasty jumps, I'm going to cover myself in this cream. I'm still going to wear long sleeves and, and, and pants and whatnot, but I feel comfortable with my gear with this stuff. What's, what's the cream called? So I'm going to have to look up the name. We I shared it on Third Coast. I'm just, I, I connect with you quick. on the, the hippie level of I don't want to put crazy chemicals on my right, skin. Right, 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 right. So that's a really good thought, you know, going into it. Um, it starts with the P-I-R-A. Justin's There's some D's and it. some I's and some N's in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll can find Can I it. buy a vowel? Yeah, I'm reti- yeah, can I buy a vowel? But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's something a lot of people don't think about. Like, mosquitoes are thick. They're covering their arms with uh, with bug spray. With and bug spray, and they're gathering their canopy. Flaking their canopy on that neck pack job. Yep, yep, yep. So I remember Yanni talking about a par- parachute he was packing back in the day. And uh, it was for an... Yeah, he was packing for himself, right? And he had covered himself in D, and he'd packed this up, and it sat for some time. 
I couldn't tell you exactly how long, right? Comes back and uh, um, basically has little holes eaten in it. And like he jumps, it lands, and then they see these little holes. And they're like, what the hell? And they came to the conclusion it wasn't an old canopy, right? It had to be from Picaridin. 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 Yeah, it's on the Picaridin? staff page. Is that what you found? I put it, it on the I found it on Third Coast. Okay. Yeah, Third Coast, and I put it on the staff page as well, but yeah. Um, and it, there's a little bit of information with it, you know. Um, if you want to look up more of the chemical components, I'm sure, you, you know, you can find them. But that was just some information on the effects of each one. Um, on natural materials and stuff like that uh, on that post or on Third Coast. Oh, it's Coast. A, a Bayer chemical. Bayer developed it There's in the a, 1980s. Okay. There's definitely a few other options out there, but uh, the really big thing is is just don't get this bug spray near your, your gear. Don't wear it. And you don't know what a lot of the chemicals you wear are. you got to be careful with, with what, what you treat and have around your gear. <clears throat> so tonight's visit on this show, man, I had one really big concern about having you on the show, and it was simple. You're a master rigger, own a rigging loft. You have come up through the sport packing and skydiving. You're a base jumper. You're a wingsuiter. You've done some trips to Europe. There's too many things to talk about. There really is. And we didn't, <laughs> even, get we didn't even get to talk about float tanks, yoga. Oh, man. DMT. Uh, Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Switzerland's incredible. Um, man, it's so beautiful. Ice. Dude, the first rainbow waterfall, right? I saw a waterfall. And a rainbow within it. This is Lauterbrunnen, right? This is Lauterbrunnen, dude. It's just the most beautiful did, place. Did you know there are 72 waterfalls in that valley? Yeah, that sounds about right. Oh, my God. Oh, I want to go to that valley. Oh, it's are, incredible. Are you a Lord of the Rings nerd? Yes, I so Yes. The uh, the elves live in uh, Rivendell, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Tolkien was the uh, the inspiration for Rivendell came from this valley, uh, Lauterbrunnen. I'm in now. We got Super beautiful. Uh, okay. We got one of the Chinese guys at Spaceland right now on the package who uh you know they they have their chosen English name. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Elvin Wei. And I I call him Lord of the Rings in my brain. <laughs> Elvin Elvin Wei. Wei. For sure, <laughs> right? Dude? Super nice guy. I've enjoyed my conversations with him. He's yeah, but in my brain, I call him Lord of the Rings. What's up, Lord of the Rings? <laughs> I'll call him Legolas. <laughs> Legolas. Legolas. Um <laughs> Nick's like nerds. <laughs> you are nerds, but those nerds. those movies are badass. And they're I, good. I read The yeah. Hobbit as a kid, it was good. Yeah, I saw. I actually wish I would have read The Hobbit as a kid. I, I, I remember some of my friends talking about how awesome The Hobbit was, and I hated it. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because we were made to read it. Is why. I oh, okay, it. gotcha, you gotcha. Know, it's yeah. like it was a cool book, but this is stupid. I have to read this <laughs> book. It could be all like playing in the dirt. <laughs> um, I did a lot of playing in the dirt as a kid. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. did a lot of eating. So I uh, we, we do have to cut short. Nick turns into a pumpkin here soon, and I really, uh, man, one of our favorite things is leave us wanting more, and, and hopefully, if we want more, so does the audience. So we have to come back. We need to have the whole base journey by itself. Like how you got through base. You know, it we dabbled in it today. Man, yeah. There's, there's really, we don't call them base jumps. They're base adventures. Yeah. Like I'm talking, we're talking like, you never know what the fuck you're going to get into when you get <laughs> when you go out in the, you know, world of base jumping. That's it's a big wild. wonder for me is like base jumping. There are so many crazy stories attached to it, but it's a community that you kind of have to keep that stuff quiet. Because a lot of it is illegal. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of it's a little bit illegal. And then I kind of caught myself getting a little loose earlier. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, um, you know, you just don't talk about anything too specifically. And you're pretty good in generality. I mean, and then I it's all about it's denial. So hard to... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you Allegedly. Know, skydivers Allegedly. always wanting to post the videos that make them look like the coolest guy in town. It's like, man, how do you, how do you stifle that urge from some of these base jumpers? 
Oh, man. Yeah, it really has been a problem in the past here and there, you know, where people burn things just by posting it a little bit too uh, openly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's been a lot of what are they going to do kind of atmo- attitudes here and there. And ultimately, there's some things that we'll do, like they'll shut down um, certain jumps. Like we won't be able to sneak around as long as nobody knows you're doing it. You can get away with it. There's a you know a couple jumps in particular that man, if they fucking find out, it's over, right? And you know, don't draw attention to yourself. Don't bro. draw attention to it. You know, keep it keep it safe, keep it good. Um, but uh, man, again, with base, there's always there's an adventure to it. So you kind of you never quite know what you're gonna get into, man. There's you know whether somebody goes from as simple as losing a shoe, <laughs> getting our toes cars towed, or having to talk to the Fucking cops again. God. <laughs> oh, man. I've got it down, though. It's all about the paramotor defense. Hey, don't don't spill the beans. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to stop you right there because dude, there's so many great stories. Back to my biggest fear about you is you have so many wonderful stories to share. Um, and and I, we, we've got to have you back. We've got to do this again. But uh, in a week and a half from now, you're going to be joining us for oh, Gravity yeah. Lab Radio karaoke and fight night fight extravaganza extravaganza good name god dude, it, dude whoever Powerful. came up with that name is a fucking <laughs> madman he's Mad a midget man. genius no it was teamwork <laughs> for sure i just threw in the word extravaganza yeah we just started we kept saying words add it on add it on another word yeah. bring it including glenno approved uh so glenn's gonna be gone by the time this event happens fuck glenn mm. man um, no so man, it's been awesome. I'm gonna Photoshop that asterisk right out. Uh, you're gonna be there, <laughs> wingsuit organizing. You yeah. and DQ will be doing some XRW organizing together as well. Oh, dude, he's he's got the perfect wing loading too, man. It's so nice. I can backfly with this canopy. We can do all kinds mm-hmm. of fun stuff. Main thing is, you know, not killing him. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll make sure that you know we'll, we'll make sure yeah. we have fun, but let's not you know have our any boy Zach Boy should be back shit. in town for some yeah. SRW that weekend. Yeah, Jeffro yeah. should be capable from either side. I'm pr- I don't know what wing he'll have with him. Who's that? J- Jeffro Provenzano. Okay. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you might have him playing with you guys a little bit as well. I don't know if he's bringing his wingsuit or not, but we'll find out. So what's happening, uh, guys and gals? Definitely check out Karaoke uh, Gravity Lab, whatever called uh, Extravaganza. Uh, it's coming up. Feb, April Feb, 13th. April 13th. <laughs> it's, coming up, it's coming up in a week and a half in February. Boom, April 13th and 14th, man. We're going to have some sick organizers. Jess, Texie Leos. Uh, what? <laughs> text Jesse Leos. I'm bringing Texie back. <laughs> uh, Jesse, text Leos, and Laura Wagner uh, doing free fly and angle and stuff. Uh, Jess Sherrard doing some belly stuff. we got some really cool guys, including our boy Jeremy Carnop. We're going to have some karaoke. We're going to have some fights. Please donate to the cause. Every single one of these organizers are doing it on their own dime. These organizers are providing their way here for themselves. They're doing it out of the goodness of wanting to party with y'all. So come hang out with us. Come party. Come have a good time. We all want to do this event more than once. Nick, I'm speaking for you. I haven't spoken for you yet. Is that true? We'll do this event again. Uh, I don't know. It depends on how well this goes. And that's exactly <laughs> the point, man. It depends on my uh, karaoke performance. Let's see how you guys do. I'm Bring try, it. I can't wait for the Ooh. next. I want drop. Hank. I'm gonna try I want Hank to drunk. sing. I got big balls. Dude, that, big dude, balls. You know what? <laughs> I, I was gonna save this for for the actual uh, karaoke festival, but I really think that seeing Hank do the big balls song was the like the first thing that keyed me into like, man karaoke here would be fun uh, for sure it is <laughs> yeah. He, yeah so i i agree that we need to have hank come hank, up hank hank 
Hank, and I cannot wait to see Nick's performance at karaoke night. <clears throat> I do have a scene in Nick's karaoke. I'm the guy in the background making faces. Right, oh, dude. Never, everybody oh, needs man. a hype man. Yeah, every, hype. Everybody needs uh, a hype uh. man. <laughs> yeah. You know the guy who just repeats whatever he just said. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, hype man. Hype man. It's on, dude. It's on, dude. It's on. Sounds good. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, gals. Uh, any Jeremy, anything else you want to share before we get moving? Oh yeah. Well, keep it safe. Um, have fun. And Sky Party, yeah, yeah, sounds like a good time. Remember, tip your rigger. If you have a save, <laughs> you owe your rigger a bottle of his choice. If it mm. is Rory Corrigan, donate to a good charity, a, a, a animal shelter fund. If it's Jeremy, what do you like to drink today? Yeah, Balbini go, 14. Go, yeah. Guys and gals, if Jeremy <laughs> Carnop saves your life and you have had a reserve save from him, Balvini 14, Caribbean cask, buy him that bottle. He will love you long time. Justin, long what time, you got? Long time. Anything you want to say? No, I'm good. Midget Honky, what you got? <laughs> That's it. That's all I need. <laughs> That's it. Hit that funky music, white boy. Guys and gals, ooh, ooh. DJ Marvin, Jeremy Carnop, Gravity Lab Radio. That's Nick Lott. That's Justin Grubbs. Blue Skies, go home. You remembered my name. <laughs> Midget White. Flat. Thanks, buddy.